That's life. That's life. That's what all the people say. You're riding high in April, shot down in May. But I know I'm gonna change that tune. When I'm back on top, back on top in June. Good morning, y'all, or afternoon, y'all. So today, I get to talk with my friend, Russ. Russ works um, as a building supply salesman. We also talk about his time as a devout Mormon and, uh, yeah, his experiences in life. So please welcome Mr. Russ Lamb. Man, I can... I'm trying to get better at that. It's tough, especially when, like, oh, there's dead spots. Like, okay, what do I bring up now, or what do I... And sometimes it's hard, because... Yeah. Um, oh, that, the mic actually rotates, huh? Talking to people who aren't as good of as good uh, carrying on the conversation. Yeah. You know, it's funny, I was thinking about this a couple they, days they ago. Ju- they just sit there and, like, okay, what are you going to ask me now? Yeah. And it's like, you don't want it to be, like, question and answer. You just want to just talk, I want it to right? be a conversation, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. And some people was like, oh, you're going to interview me? I'm like, no, let's just no. talk. Yeah. I was thinking about this a couple days ago, but there are, there are times when I'm going to say something and I forget, so I start to form a, a question or a response, and then, like, as I'm forming my response, I'm, like, thinking of a question in my head, so I'm trying to delay it. Until I could think of something to say. <laughs> yeah, which, if you're thinking of something to say right then and there, you should probably just say it. Because if you delay it, then you're like, you may forget to bring it up again. No, or, no, no. What I'm oh. saying is, um, so there's something I'm going to say, and then I forget it. And then I'm like, I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, I remember, even though I don't remember. Yeah. And I'm like thinking of it, and then I'll think of a different thing to ask, just because I don't want the conversation to die, you know? Yeah. But it happens. Yeah. And it's tough too. Like, you know, like in my job and management and stuff like that, where you're like talking to people and interviewing people, like doing, like I have to do job interviews. Not uh-huh. as much anymore, but it's like where you really have to like be focused on the person's answer and I'm so much worried about the next question or what you're going to ask them next and like really be yeah. zoned in and give them. That's one thing that I'm not, trying to not, get. <laughs> Go ahead. What were you going to say? Yeah. Not zone out or like. Um, what am I going to ask next or what am I going to that's hard like even when I meet people right yeah. like I have to repeat their name back to them in order for me to remember it I'm, t- I'm so bad at that that's one thing I've, I've done that's helped me though is like when you meet somebody and they say their name even if you clear, even if they say their name's John yeah. say their name back to them and that helps you remember it I'm so bad I yeah. remember I forget their name after the handshake <laughs> like yesterday well like with the handshake too you're meeting somebody new yeah. it's like you're more concerned about introducing yourself to yeah them. Uh-huh. like my name's such and such or whatever you're not you're worried about what you're gonna say rather than what they're saying to you that's something big yeah is but learning. if, you, if you yeah like I said if you just repeat their name back to them and also you know what you know what a person's favorite word to hear is their own name huh I mean, that can be yeah. <laughs> in a lot of contexts, right? But, but I get you. Yeah. So, like, sales, because I do sales, right? When you say someone's name or you mention their name, you constantly say Julian in the conversation. You don't say you or, you know, you say ah. Julian. It shows, them, shows that person that you know their name. And also, again, people like hearing their own name. And the fact that you know their name. How did you... It's just a sales technique of, like, 
it's, you go through sales training. Yeah. But yeah, it's like know the person's name and then use that person's name. Like don't overuse it, right? But yeah. just the fact that you know their name, you're using it, especially in like a first meeting where you're like meeting with a client for the first time. Mm-hmm. That's something that I've definitely, I was going to say, but I definitely need to work on is listening to listen rather than listening to respond yeah, you yeah. know it's tough i mean yeah it's tough for anybody so so what do you do specifically you sell metal right you're in metal sales so it's building materials into so mainly what we sell is fencing we're not we're not recording right now are we? yeah we are oh we are yeah <laughs> oh, I, didn't, I, I didn't know i, I, I like uh, i like to okay. start it okay without people knowing because then it's less awkward yeah, yeah okay the conversation just carries forward rather sure. than yeah i didn't know if there was a like where are we starting this so no, go anyway yeah so building materials so my job it's it's nothing glamorous it's really pretty boring but so we sell building materials mainly steel related products into the fencing industry okay but like here you know like we don't really get into like agricultural type fence it's more like chain link um wrought iron it's not actually wrought iron anymore uh-huh so this is you know for fence nerds, not, no, many, no, I, not many I, I fence want, nerds out there. So the true wrought iron fence is solid steel. And now all wrought iron fencing, it's actually called ornamental iron fencing. It's all hollow tube steel. Okay. Like your gate when I yeah. drove in, that's all hollow it's tube, tube yeah. steel. Yeah. So people still call that, oh, that's a nice wrought iron gate. Well, it's not wrought iron. Wrought iron was mm. true wrought, like solid iron that was forged and then welded. And it's too expensive. Nobody does that anymore. And it's just way heavier. Way heavier. I mean, it's you still see it in like, like if you go to New Orleans or someplace like that, you'll still see a lot of that stuff. Uh-huh. But it's just too expensive. Nobody could afford that anymore. At, and they've w- come so far with decorative type fencing, ornamental fencing, that that's what, like if you see that around somebody's house or development, it's all tube steel. Is all there up. any benefit to it being solid steel? It's going to last longer. Yeah, but by how much? I don't know. I mean, really what matters too is the coating on it. Yeah. So everything now is galvanized and then most of it's, you know, got a nice powder coating on it. So depending on who the manufacturer is, like we're, we're a manufacturer of it. Our warranty is 20 years, you know, you'll see 20, 25 year warranty. And then of course it depends on how how close you get to coastline or salt, salty environments. That's, you know, they'll only offer a five year warranty there, but so it's just going to eventually the rust is going to eat away at the steel, right? and you know wear through it so you'll you'll start flaking and you'll get holes and like those like the pickets on your fence uh-huh. that'll eventually happen over time and if it's uh-huh. solid steel it's just going to hold up you know way longer yeah rust isn't going to eat through that and but do y'all even sell solid steel anymore no no. Mm. no nobody can even like like i said it's so expensive that nobody's going to pay for it it's like they'd see the price and what's the company you work for it's called merchants metals so we're a wholesale, so there's, and it's, so I kind of have mixed feelings about this too, because, so we've just recently been acquired again. So we're owned by private equity. Okay. And we were just recently acquired by another private equity company. So our company alone has 36 locations all across the US, uh-huh. distribution centers, and then we have five manufacturing locations. And so not only do we distribute fence products and metal, but we also um, manufacture it. So like chain link fence, we manufacture that. We actually take the, it's, it's kind of interesting, like if you ever watch the show, how it's made, right? Uh-huh. And so going through one of our factories and seeing how chain link fence is woven together. So we actually manufacture that. We manufacture, like I said, ornamental iron fencing, and then we distribute like wood, 
vinyl PVC fencing, we distribute those products. And you've seen how it's made, the chain link fence? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a huge, our largest manufacturing locations in Houston. Have you been? Yeah, many times. Uh -huh. Yeah. How long have you worked for that company? 13 years. So um, I went to school and I graduated right after uh, September 11th. So I graduated in 2002 and the job market was, right after I graduated, the job market was not good. Uh -huh. And I had been, like when uh, in summer, during the summer going to school, I worked for a guy. Um, so I had summers off obviously when I wasn't going to school and I worked for a guy building fence just on a whim. Like this guy's looking for people. And I was never afraid of hard labor or like going out and getting my hands dirty, you know, uh -huh. making, a, you know, what, what an honest living is these days. Or, you know, it's always work smarter, not harder. But anyway, um, my dad was in, my dad built custom homes. And so I was always around construction anyway. Um, this guy, it's like I had a job. So I, I started out building fence during the summers. And then I graduated and didn't, re and didn't really have a job. You know, there wasn't a lot of people hiring. More people were laying people off because the economic downturn after September 11th. Anyway, the guy I was working for said, hey, I'll, I'll offer you a full-time like operations and sales job with me. So I went and did that. And that's really what got me into the quote unquote fence industry, uh, fence and metal industry. I, uh, so I got my degree in uh, international business management. It's like, how do you end up in fence and metals with international business management, right? But you can pretty much do anything with a business degree. Mm -hmm. so, I, uh, so I did that and then worked for that guy. And then my brother and a partner, they had a separate they were working for a company and they're like, we want to, we really want to start a business. My older brother, he's an entrepreneur. He never wants to work for anybody. Yeah. Right. And I have a little bit of that in me, but I also, I don't know. I'm, I'm more uh, risk adverse. I don't know. It's just my nature. It's like, um, you know, I've, I've always like, ideally I would like to have my own business, but what goes into starting your own business and the type of business I want, like I could do, what I'm doing and start my own, but a lot of capital. It takes a lot of capital to, mm -hmm. to open the type of business that I want to do. Anyway, <clears throat> so um, my brother and his par brother and his partner wanted to start their own fencing company, like building fences. Your and brother knew about fences as well? Didn't know anything. Okay. Knew zero. Okay. So he came to me and said, hey, me and this partner, like this, there was, you know, the economic turnaround, things were going good. And so I'm from Idaho and this was in Idaho and like, residential market was taken off, a lot of development going on. It's like, we want to start a, a fencing company. We don't know anything about it. Will you help us get it started? It's like, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like a good opportunity. So we did. And I helped him do that, wrote the business plan for it. We got it going and they had it for about four years and decided they didn't really want to do that anymore. So they sold it. And the company I work for now approached me and said, Hey, we know, you know, you guys are selling this. We would like you to come run our Boise location for us. And at that time I was like, ah, do I want to stay in this? You know, it's like, do I want to keep it? I kind of just fell into this because, yeah. you know, I didn't have a lot of other opportunities when I graduated. I was like, do I want to stay in this industry or want to want to go do something else? So I did like probably waited. So I was probably technically unemployed for about five or six months. And my brother was also looking at some other like financial opportunities that we were potentially going to go do that ended up not panning out. So anyway, um, so finally agreed to go work for this company and that's 2007. Been working for them ever since. 
How was your brother's company doing while you guys were running it? It did really well. So it did really well. The problem is, and my brother would say this himself, he and his partner like, were really involved in getting it off the ground, like very involved. Like they would, they would do anything any other employee would do. But then it got to the point where it's like, they want to take a more hands-off approach and start exploring other business opportunities. And it wasn't, we hadn't scaled it enough to where they could be able to do that. Yeah. And like my brother was driving a Hummer at the time and his partner was driving like this brand new, nice big Ford truck. Like we all had brand new vehicles. Like they were, they were spending money. And again, if he was sitting here, I would say this to him and he would admit it too. They were spending money just faster than it was coming in. Mm -hmm. And they were the two owners of the company making a nice salary yet not contributing much anymore. Uh -huh, yeah. And the business that a business that young just couldn't survive. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, if it was 10 years down the road, maybe they could get to that point where they could take a hands off approach. So it did really well. Like, Revenue was never an issue. Ma having sales, we had the sales. It was having that, that money wasn't falling to the bottom line and reinvesting it into the business. They were uh -huh. taking that money in. So it was, it was more of like an entrepreneurial money grab rather than like a passion that they actually Yeah, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a passion. It was like, what can we do that will be pretty lucrative for us pretty yeah. quickly? Uh -huh. And they could see the trends in the construction industry in Boise at that time. And it was, you know, it was, that was before the recession of 2008 and it was just booming. How old were they at the time? So how, old, were, how much older is your brother than you? He's only a year and a half older than me. Oh, so, okay. So, so they were thir 30s. You know, we were, I w we were all in like our early 30s, oh. late 20s, early 30s. Yeah. Yeah. That's so we were all young guys. You know, we were aggressive. We didn't have really have, my, my brother probably had two young kids at the time, maybe. Uh -huh. I didn't have any kids. And so we had a lot of time to dedicate to the business. And we spent a lot of long hours. And I wasn't at, and they wanted me to come in initially as an investor. I was like, ah, I'm a, we'll see how this goes. And yeah. you know, I never did take an ownership role in it. But um, at the end, you know, it didn't end ideally uh, for them. But th they're both very successful now. Like my brother's got a pool company now, so he transitioned from that fencing industry into pools, and he does like resort pools. He used to do residential pools and then he's graduated into like doing big custom resort. Like he built a pool, nice. you know who Tony Robbins is? Yeah. He built a pool at Tony Robbins house. Oh shit. Yeah. So he does, does big time stuff now and very successful at that. But that's yeah. pretty cool. And the, the, his partner is now a paramedic firefighter. That's doing done, well. Yeah. Doing well. So who, who do they sell the business to? Um, so they didn't, so I say sell the business. Um, they kind of, liquidated the assets oh okay <laughs> yeah yeah i mean they they sold off the business i mean they they probably could have sold it to somebody but it's more like they just want to be done with it yeah and, yeah yeah and had a fire sale on everything all the equipment and, and the, the office we were located in was gonna kind of like what's going on with 46 right 46 and 21 they're gonna put an interchange in there I don't know oh, if you knew that. Are they really? To, yeah, they're like they're yeah. That's, that's why they tore out the gas pumps. I heard. Oh. At that right there, you know how they ripped the gas yeah, pumps yeah. out of that Seven Eleven. So they're gonna do the same thing, or they did the same thing where our office was located. So we oh. were gonna have to move anyway yeah. out of that that big office we were working out of. So they're like, oh, it's a good time to be done. I see. So you okay? So you have you're familiar with building supplies and all that yeah. stuff. Explain to me what's going on with one, the lumber market, but two, just basic building materials right now. Is it because of inflation? Is it because of the shortage of materials? 
So I can't speak specifically to lumber because okay. I don't deal a ton. You've heard of that? You oh yeah, yeah. I'm, it's insane. Yeah, I'm very because we do steel, right? Yeah. So steel is experiencing the same things, maybe not quite to the same degree. Yeah. Like the products we sell have gone up since the first of the year. Yeah. I mean, when you mentioned inflation, probably gone up 60, 65%. 65%. Yeah. Lumber's gone up like 300%. Yeah. So what happened with our industry specifically is all these, we buy from steel mills. Steel mills are the ones that roll the, roll the steel, form it, do all that stuff. So we buy from them. COVID hit. They're like, oh shit, what are we going to do? You know, we, we have all this capacity. We're used to making all this steel and now there's not going to be the demand for it. We need to start shutting these furnaces down to make, you know, cause we're, why spend all the money to heat all this, heat these mills, you know, make all this product when there's not going to be any demand for it. So they started ramping everything down, laying people off. And then the exact opposite happened. Unprecedented demand. Wow. People, people were home. People were doing projects around their house. Uh -huh. There was still the, the, the construction industry wasn't really affected like any of the other industries. Uh -huh. So that demand just took off. Yeah. And they were never able to catch back up. Like it's always, you know, what drives price up, you know, economics mm -hmm. 101, supply and demand. So the demand has ever since like probably middle of last year, like June, July, when things really started taking off, there's just never been enough supply. Wow. And no matter what price we tell people, they're like, how soon can I get it? It doesn't wow. matter. It doesn't matter anymore. It's just how soon can I get it? Because again, there's so much demand. So there hasn't, the demand hasn't seized at all or come down at all to where, pe where people are forced to, to lower the prices. Same thing with construction, right? Yeah. People are building houses like crazy. Left and right yeah. out here. So, so the, the lumber and with lumber, lumber specifically, so we, we get a little bit into wood fencing, not a lot, but every year it seems like something It's like, oh, it's the spotted owl. So we can't cut down these trees or this for there was a forest fire there. So uh, we lost, you know, half our inventory because we weren't able to harvest all these trees. Yeah. So it's always something with the lumber industry. And I've never exactly been able to figure that one out, but I think it's a lot the same thing. It's just, there's not enough supply and the demand is just stupid. That's crazy. And so people, people are still willing to buy. People are still, regardless. So people say like, I signed a contract on the house and this house is already, you know, I already have $80,000 equity in it and it's only three months into it, right? I, I could sell that house for $80,000 more than when I signed the contract on it. But people are still buying houses, right? That's not slowing, that's not stopping people from buying houses even if the house is $80,000 more than it was three months ago. Yeah. So, and I think, I think we're, we're, it's being felt all over the country, but I think Texas especially because people want to live in Texas. A lot of people are People here. went through this pandemic and saw how different states handled it. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And how they want to live, how they want to be treated by their politicians. Yeah. Right? I don't want, you know, I don't want to get into political conversations, but uh, people saw what Texans were able to do and how, you know, the Texas politicians reacted to it. And I think, I think, I think we're in an inflationary period, obviously, and there's got to be some correction. Uh -huh. But I think, in large part, Texas will be—I wouldn't say immune, but definitely won't feel the effects of it like a lot of other markets will. Yeah, because people will continue to want to move here. There's more money coming into Texas. There's more you. money coming in. I mean, you see what's—I think Austin's the the Booming. next real big boomtown, mm -hmm. right? With 
Tesla and all that tech that's moving, you know, moved out of Silicon Valley and is moving yeah. to Austin. Yep. So, and that's just going to continue to trickle down here. Um, people can, you know, I work from home. So that's part of the reason why I never joined the box before. I think we've talked about that. Because I, for my job, I was traveling at least 50% of the time. And um, when Lonnie first wanted to join the box, I was like, really? Does it cost that much to just do CrossFit? Like, uh-huh. what's, why is CrossFit <laughs> got to be so expensive, right? Yeah. And I was like, and then two of us paying a family membership, like, and I'll get to use it maybe 50% of the time. Yeah. But then COVID hit and I stopped traveling. And but that's the point I was getting to earlier. Like, people can live where they want now, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Like they said, there's the real estate market in like resort towns and mountain towns like that. Like, I'm crazy because mm-hmm. people can live wherever they want. So like, I want to live in a nice place. I want to live by a beach or I want to live in the mountains. So, yeah. Did you uh, see your sales, your personal sales go up too? Oh, crazy. Really? Crazy. Without doing anything different. Yeah. Like I'm, normally it would be like, less okay, travel, less travel, less face-to-face interaction. It was just, it wasn't anything I was doing. Yeah. It's just everybody's still like, again, everybody's at home working on projects or the, you know, the development side of things didn't slow down, especially here in Texas. Mm-hmm. So I cover the whole Western half of the U.S., but it's the whole... There wasn't like any market that was like, oh, it's slow here. Like nothing. California was a little bit slower to come back, but still. So who's your best market right now? What state? Texas. Okay, by far. Yeah. Tex- well, so Texas, Florida's. Re- so I don't cover Florida, but for our company, Florida's really strong. Um, California is too. I mean, California's really? really, yeah, rebound, especially Northern California. So, but all over, I mean, our just create, our sales numbers are just crazy i mean so is it good for you are you benefiting is oh the yeah company yeah paying you better oh yeah yeah nice, i mean nice when you're in sales right you're yeah you're compensated and motivated okay, yeah. by by uh not just revenue but the the prop the gross profit you generate on that uh-huh. revenue right and we're having that's the thing too when 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 prices are inflating right people have less sense and again we're not taking advantage of people but less sense of where the market should be right or what the price should or shouldn't be Right, and so when that happens, you can kind of dictate what your price is. Yeah, and because as long the as the demand is like, stays high. Yeah, and it's and you know we were talking about sales earlier, but people buy from people they like, right? So I like Julian. Julian treats me fair. Ju- Julian gives me a fair price. I'm gonna, you know, I'm not gonna shop. I'm not gonna go mm-hmm. to whoever down the street because I know if something goes wrong or whatever, Julian's gonna take care of me. Julian's always there, you know, so. It's like, I'm gonna pay Julian's price. So it's like, I tell them my price and they really have no reference point. Yeah. And again, I'm not taking advantage of them, but it's like, I'm, we're making, our margins are better today than they ever have been. One, because there's the whole concept of selling on replacement costs versus selling on your current inventory costs, right? And this is business you know, stuff that, but like if you, if you bought something six months ago, right? At a dollar, like technically you could sell it for a dollar 20 and make make the 20 cents, right? Mm-hmm. But if I have to go out and buy that today, that's going to cost me a dollar 70. So I'm selling it based on what I'm going to go out and have to buy it for, yeah. selling on replacement yeah, costs yeah, yeah. rather than my current inventory cost. So even though I have that in inventory at a dollar, I can now sell that for $2. Yeah, cuz it costs a right? dollar 70 now. Yeah, so I'm selling it based on what I can go out and replace it for. Mm-hmm. So I'm making that dollar in margin that I normally would have only made 20 cents in margin. Yeah. So 
our margins, the gross profit we make on our sales is. Did you guys have a lot of inventory before COVID hit? We did. Yeah, we were positioned well, but we're we're not immune to the whole supply. Like that's this the supply chain issues. Like you read, I don't know if you saw articles with uh, Chick Fil A, uh-huh, like the Chick-fil- sauce yeah, being out. They're limiting the one sauce. Nobody's immune to these supply chain issues, yeah. and especially with what's going on with the gas situation, that pipeline situation, uh-huh. and then. I saw today there's a bridge they have to close, like a major bridge. I saw that, yeah. Yeah, it's like, we s- no, if, again, if anybody had a crystal ball or could have forecasted this, it's like, I would have been piled with mountains of steel all around my house. I would have, mm-hmm. like, bought a lot somewhere and just stored product on it because it's, it's gold now. Yeah. Like, lumber, same thing. Yeah. But, again. It's crazy how, like, COVID, there are assumptions about what is going to be affected, but there are so many things that are affected that are so far away from... COVID itself, like companies such as, you know, tech companies boomed when COVID came around, but who would have thought that lumber would have boomed? Who would have thought that steel would have boomed, you know? Yeah. And who so thought anything was going <clears> to <throat> boom? Yeah. Like I, like going into COVID initially, like, again, it's not, you know, it wasn't necessarily doom and gloom, but it was so much uncertainty. Mm-hmm. You're like, how, like, well, how's this? Cause the first like April, like April going into May still, it was like, what's going to happen? Like we're, a lot of our locations were shutting down. Like if, and if somebody in the location got COVID, then you had to, yeah. like everybody had to go home and isolate. You shut the building down. Like what's, what's 2020 even going to look like? Right. So we never could have predicted what happened. Even fast food places. I feel like fast, fast food places boomed when COVID yeah. came around. Because I like never seen drive-throughs as busy as they were. It's it's unfortunately I think there's been the two extremes, right? There's been businesses that have done really really well, mm-hmm. and people that have got stimulus checks, working for businesses that have done very very well, based on your 2019 tax return. Yeah, right. And you like suffered no loss of income. Your income has only increased since COVID happened, but you're still getting a stimulus check from the government. Yeah. But then there's businesses like restaurants and stuff like that, bars, you know, bartenders, whatever, that were severely impacted. And, you know, I think they should, I don't, I don't know how they could have done it better, but I think if you can't prove any loss of income, you shouldn't be getting a stimulus check. Yeah. I don't know. But then they would have to wait for this year's anyways to yeah, do that, right? They, and I know they were already, people were complaining about how long the checks took to come out. I don't yeah. know. It's just, it seemed like a lot of, I mean, always seems like a lot of excess spending and bureaucracy when anytime you involve the government. But I mean, people definitely need, needed taken care of and needed helped out. But I think a lot of people that didn't need taken care of, you know. Got taken care of. But I mean, at the end of the day, right, as long as you take that money and are taking it to restaurants and helping stimulate the economy economy, and not just putting in the bank. But yeah, if you're in a well-off financial position, that money's going straight into an investment or your savings account. Right. Yeah. So what, um, Oh man, see, this is one of those moments where I just forgot what I was going to say. Oh, okay. In sales, what is like your daily, like what is your work day of work consist of? Are you constantly trying to make sales or are you like checking in on clients or so it's a lot of that. So, um, like, just I do some some quoting for the larger customers because again, I have like fifteen accounts that I take care of all across the whole western half of the U.S. And some of it's actually quoting like, "I have this new project coming up. Can you help me work up a, a bid on that?" So I'll help that. A lot of it's just touching base with them though. What like what projects they got coming up? Mm-hmm. You know, when's this going to start? Making sure 
a lot of what I do is logistics as well. It's like, okay, when when does the material need to be there to the site? You know, when when you're gonna have that when you're getting that contract because I need to send the PO off to because we order a lot of stuff from outside vendors. Uh huh. Like we don't like you know we're talking about tubular steel. We don't manufacture that. We buy that. So a lot of that making sure stuff is moving, POs are sent. You know, and then again a lot of just having conversations, not necessarily. Because again, back to my original point of people buy from people they like. Yeah. Just talking to people, like not even yeah. sales related. Just like, hey, what's going on? How's your day going? Like, you know, what's what's going on in the business? You know. And that's considered work for you. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's. I mean, it's building relationships. Yeah. So, I mean, we've talked about this a little bit before, but um, you know, I was raised Mormon, right? I want to talk about that, yeah. but I want to talk about this first. No, but so one of the big things. <clears throat> As, as a Mormon missionary, which I was, they call it building relationships of trust. So getting the person that you're in, in, in Mormon, Mormonism, right, as a missionary, your, your ultimate goal is to try and get that person to believe what you believe, right? You're trying to convert that person. And one of the, one of the principles they teach you, again, it's, a, it's really a sales course mm-hmm. on selling your religion to somebody else. Mm-hmm. But part of that is building a relationship of trust with somebody. Like if you trust that person, you're gonna be more susceptible to what they're telling you is, you know, credible and oh, I, you know, I like what that guy's, whatever pitch is that, whatever that guy's selling me. Um, so having learned that, right, it's like, and again, I'm not using it as a manipulative tactic, but just to get that person like you have, you know, like you and I just having a conversation, it doesn't have to, cause I've, I have never taken the approach of like the used car salesman, the hard, the high pressure seller. Like, yeah, yeah. You got to buy this from me, or like if you don't buy this, I'm gonna go sell it to somebody else. Or you know, I don't, I don't like being sold like that, so I don't take that approach. It's more of, hey, you know, when when you do have that order, when this big job happens, I'm gonna be the first guy you call, or at least, and follow up is key too. Like the the squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? So. If, it, if you know something's out there and you're following up with them and you're staying on top of them about this job that's happening, it's like, okay, I know that Russ wants that job. He, he's, you know, he got the quote back to me right away or whatever. He's followed up with me, made sure that pricing was good. He told me lead times on everything. He's been over communicative. So I know that he cares about, you know, me getting the, me getting the opportunity, them be, me being the customer, getting uh-huh. that opportunity. And then he's going to be there to, to make sure it goes smoothly. So, and then, so our industry, I think is a little unique in that our customers really want somebody that's very knowledgeable in what they're doing. And if you don't know, if you don't know steel and you don't know what it's used for and what should be used and you can't recommend something, they'll quickly dismiss you. Uh So that's been a key, a big thing with sales as well. It's like, you gotta know what you're talking about. Yeah, You gotta, you can't be some, like somebody coming into our industry from another industry, a lot of times it just doesn't translate well. It's tough. It's like you almost got to grow up in that in that industry and uh-huh. learn it. You can't just come into it from something else and so be do successful. You, do, have you done or do a lot of outside research or is what you know based on working there for as long as you have? No, what's what I know is based on one, coming up in the fence industry, right? Actually digging holes in the ground, yeah. putting fence posts in the ground, building it, assembling it, know how the pieces and parts work together, what you can do, what you can't do, how you should, how you shouldn't, 
install things and then also being on the sales side of it so i've been in their shoes right i i worked for my brother who had his company right i i sold fence to people like residential homeowners like i come julian i want to sell you a fence and i you know measure off your property or whatever and sell you like tell you all about the fence and what you should and shouldn't use and um the benefit you know the pros and cons of it so i know all that side of it so i know i know what they're trying to do on their side of no pun intended on their side of the fence on their side of the yeah, business uh -huh, right uh -huh. so i know all that so uh -huh. that just you know a lot of times will give me a leg up on somebody that that hasn't done what i've done mm -hmm. what about welding you know much about welding so welding so outside of music which if you ask lonnie i'm tone deaf which i am <laughs> i can hear tone i just can't i can't Hold on, Rambi, get, get out of here, go. Oh, she's got a little abscess or something. Yeah, she has those on her. She's old. So Lonnie's a singer. Lonnie's very musically inclined. Mm -hmm. That is not my strong suit. Um, so I wish I knew how to play an instrument, which I don't, and I wish I knew how to weld. You can still learn. No, I know. It's one of those things I, I want to learn. Um, I've been around a ton of welding. Like welding has always been an, an integral part of any business I've been involved in, uh -huh. I've just never learned. And it's something that's like, that's a skill that you can, like you could, has great oh, value. Oh, big time. There's so much you can do oh, yeah. if you know how to weld. Alejandro's a good welder. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he does, he's been doing projects for like yeah. a bunch of people. So my brother-in-law had some stuff and came over and he gave a bid to my brother-in-law. Oh, Alejandro um, did? Yeah. Did they, are they going to do it or no? So, I mean, my brother-in-law ended up going with somebody else. Uh, okay. My brother-in-law is, is a president for a general contractor, and he's got some connections and yeah, yeah. worked some deals and did some trades. And so, anyway. So, you you said you have these 15 clients. Are you communicating with them every day or only who needs Depends. to Depends. Some of them, some of them. And again, you, you gauge it, right? It's like, how much time and attention do I need to give to Julian? Does Julian want me to call him every day? Do uh -huh. I need to touch base with him? And, or do I need to touch base with them once a week? You know, it's like you understand their needs and how much, like, I don't want to be overbearing. Like, uh, it's Russ calling me again. Yeah, right? What yeah, does this yeah. guy want? Right. What's he trying to sell me now? So it's just, you, you fill the, each one of them out. Each one of them is different. Sometimes you, sometimes, you know, I'll go two weeks without talking to some of them. And then with so much communication via electronic, right? Whether you text or email, you do a lot of communicating with them that way. Not necessarily talking to them over the phone. What's your main? Pro email. Okay. Yeah, email. Um, but then I would I would at least go visit everybody, all my clients at least once a quarter. And now you know I haven't traveled since. Well, we had in person meetings last week in Houston, but that was my first business related travel since before COVID. And what did you do when you went to visit them? Take them out to lunch. Yeah, take them to dinner. Take them. Yeah. Take and them, that's on the companies. Them, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's that's the good thing. yeah, that's the that's the part of the job. So that's where our sales normally it's like I need to do those sales yeah. or do those things in order to get the sales right. It's like again building relationships with people, and you have to do you have to get to know people outside of work or outside of the job, right? Yeah, yeah. In yeah. order to understand their hobbies, or you take them to do things they like, whether it's fishing, hunting, whatever. I've done all those things, you know, whatever that person enjoys doing. Take them to top golf, whatever it is, you know. I, I was so, talking to Chris. Chris White, yeah, and uh, he used to be, he used to work in the pharmaceutical industry, yeah, and he was. Oh, I thought he me, still did. No, uh, he anyway. may still. No, I think he switched. Um, but he was telling me that when he was working for the industry, the pharmaceutical industry, the 
big heads would tell him take these like clients and stuff out to suites at baseball games like spend yeah. a ton of money on these people we do the same thing yeah it's i mean you know there's obviously but our our company is pretty laxed in that department like i i don't really have i mean as long as you're you're not frivolous like you can spend what you want uh and you you know it's like and if they see you're you're getting sales getting sales right Russ is doing what it takes to get the sale. Yeah. Right, within reason. But yeah, yeah I mean, we've done all those things, taking people to, you take people to sporting events, take people to, you know, again, whatever they enjoy doing. Take so people you enjoy on it week too, for sure. Oh yeah, yeah, you get, you know, there's some fringe benefit for you as the person. That you're, you're working though. Yes, yeah. you're, you're working during <laughs> that time and yeah. reaping the rewards of it as well. And hopefully it's something you enjoy doing also, but yeah, so definitely part of the job. So tell me, so you said, you mentioned you grew up as a Mormon. Mm-hmm. Um, you were born and raised in Idaho? Yep. Where? Boise. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, remember, so that's where the, the whole Lotterskitu, and I was like, that sounds like a Bass name. Yeah. So, because there's a bunch of Bass people in Boise, and like there's, I think Boise, I don't know, I have to look this up, has the largest Basque population in the U.S. Interesting. A lot of people don't even know what Basque is. Yeah, like, I, I didn't until... Yeah, it's a region of Spain uh-huh. where... So, I think what there used to... Well, it still is a place called Silver City in Boise. And I think that's what the the silver and, like, farming and stuff drew a lot of Basque people to Boise. Mm-hmm. And so, there's there's a Basque, Basque center in Boise. Interesting. Like a community center. It's big in the population. A lot of the politicians in Boise and Idaho are Basque. Like the mayor was Basque, the secretary of state is or was Basque. Uh-huh. So, and just grew up with a lot of Isaguire and Isatora and uh-huh. all these Basque names, Bengochea and. Is yeah. it, is it per, okay. So yeah, that's, I, like nobody, it's funny, like, I, I think we had this conversation, but I was talking to Brian Skelton the other day too. It's like, he's like, oh yeah, it gets cold up there in um, Idaho. It's like right there by South Dakota and North Dakota. I'm like. It's not even close to South Dakota, <laughs> North Dakota. Like that's Midwest, man. We got this huge freaking state called Montana in between. Uh-huh. Like Idaho borders Oregon. Like Idaho's Northwest, right? Yeah. Borders mm-hmm. Washington and Oregon. Yeah. And so anyway, it's just funny. Like <laughs> Texas, um, you know, Texans are very like uh, Texas and you know bordering states, but and Idaho. I mean, there's not a lot for Idaho to be known for other than potatoes. But is it a big farming? It is, yeah. So I grew up in the Boise area and the eastern part of the state. Like, I don't know that I ever saw a potato field growing up. There's a lot of, there was a lot of fields around my house, but a lot of like sugar beets, Uh corn, mint, like things like that. Uh Like the potatoes, the potatoes and the big potato sellers, Uh those are all over in the eastern part of the state. Is it pronounced Boise or Boise? Does it matter? Well, it doesn't matter. To you though? (laughs) Boise. Okay. C, yeah. Yeah, so Z. If you say Boise, like, I don't know what to relate it to here. Like, you just know somebody's not from there. Yeah, like, yeah. If you went to Idaho and called it Boise, they're going to be like, oh, Julian's not from here. Okay. It's Boise. But but what do you hear outside of Boise? What do you hear? Boise. All Boise. the time. I'm not going to correct anybody. Rambi, go. She's fine. He? She smells like skunk. Yeah. She does. I know. There was, a sk- there was a skunk out here. So yeah, um, you know, you know whether or not somebody's from local, just like things around here, you know. 
So, so your parents are Mormon? So, um, I guess, I mean, technically I still am too. I mean, uh -huh. I'm not, I haven't like resigned or like been what they call excommunicated, like kicked out of the religion, <clears throat> just stopped. But did you sign into the religion? So technically the way to sign into Mormonism, which is, again, I'll, I still have family in the religion, so I want to be respectful of it. And, okay. and any, any organized religion, right? It's like people can believe what they want. It's like I got jo no judgment on whatever people choose to believe in. But so the way Mormonism works, when you're eight years old, the founder of Mormonism decided that eight years old is basically the age of you can decide whether or not you want to join the church. So, you know, Catholicism or whatever, I guess, when you're an infant, you're baptized or whatever, christened. But again, I'm not super familiar with other religions. But so at the age of eight, you decide whether or not you want to get baptized into the religion. So, again, air quotes around that decide, right? Like what eight year old's going to say? Especially when your parents and everybody's telling you, oh, this is what you do, you know, this yeah. is your natural progression in the religion, you get baptized. Like, who's going to say, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that, right? Uh -huh. At eight years old, you're doing whatever your parents tell you to do, or like saying, especially after you get baptized, you like, a lot of times they give you presents and stuff like that. It's like, what kid at eight years old is going to go Didn't through with that? that yeah. So, anyway, that's when you technically become a member of record is eight years old when you're baptized. And so, so you were baptized? Yeah. Yeah. Everybody, so I have three brothers, we're all baptized so that's the other thing about idaho so you have idaho utah utah is basically everybody like it really started out in so the founder of mormonism his name's joseph smith started out in new york and then moved like through continued west like through illinois and then eventually they got kicked out of all these states you know, that's a whole whole nother can of worms. and eventually they ended up in utah okay so Ida idaho is just north of utah so you have Idaho, Utah, Arizona, that like people call that the Morador, <laughs> like especially people that former Mormons like myself or non-practicing Mormons, like that's the Morador, that's like Mormon corridor, right? That's a lot of Mormons living. So like my high school is like over 50% Mormon. So it's not like here, it's different, right? It's like Mormons, yeah, I know about them, but I don't know a lot about them. Like there, everybody knows what Mormons are and what they believe. And again, half your high school and you have in Texas, you had like, wait, you went to high school in California? Mm -hmm. So you had like uh, a release period or like a period where you could choose an elective or something elective, or yeah. a zero hour or whatever. So in Idaho, you choose seminary. What so there's a, there's a Mormon building next to every high school. So when they build high schools, they like designate part of the land right next to it. Or the Mormon church says that we want to buy part of that land right next to the church and they build a seminary building. So you leave school because technically it can't be on the same property, the whole separation of church and state. So um, you leave school and you go to seminary to learn more about Mormonism for an hour each day. Huh. So all the Mormon kids you see walk into the seminary, back and forth to the seminary building. And it's just like way of life there. Yeah. yeah. I, so. I met some Mormon guys. Uh, I was at the park, yeah. slacklining. You know what slacklining is? Yeah, yeah. And I was just hanging out and they came, ride their bikes and... They hopped on the slack line. We were slack line for a little bit, and they were just telling me about they're from. One of them was from Utah, and the other one might have been from Arizona. Yeah, again, <laughs> yeah. that's where a lot of the. And, and I and I and I did the same thing, right? I went to Japan. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's again at eight you get baptized. It's changed now. They moved the age up to eighteen, 
but at 19, you go on what's called a mission, right? Different religions have mission trips or whatever. And I think in other religions, they're a lot more... And it's changed. It's changed over time. But in a lot of the other religions, they're elective. And when I grew up in the Mormon church, it was like, you go. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. it's... Yeah, it's your choice, but there's only one choice to make here. Yeah. Right? And if you don't go, then... Yeah, it's like it's like you're wearing a scarlet letter. So they were out here, and they were, like, spreading the word out here in San Antonio. I was like, dude, these guys are, you know, these guys are cool. And then and then as towards the end, when they were getting ready to leave, they were like, hey, man, well, here's a Mormon book, and if you ever want to hang out. And then I was like, golly, <laughs> man, you guys were cool up until you just tried to give me that book. And and they're still cool. <laughs> There's st- Like, I, again, I got nothing re- for respect for them because I was once one of them, right? Yeah. And this, that's the job you're sent there to do, and you think that's what... Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like that's at the end of the day, you're there. You're trying to get that person to believe what you believe. But at first, at first, I was like, maybe I can hang out with these guys. And then right when they push the book at me, I'm like, Nah, I don't want to hang out with you. Never mind. Yeah, because at that point, you know, they have ulterior motives. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's like they're not. They don't want to just be. At the end of the day, they probably do want to just be your friend. Uh huh. But again, it's 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 really treated like a business. Yeah. Like they, like you have to report back. How many people you came into contact? Like, you'll be one of their contacts. Mm. Like, we came in contact with this guy at the park. And he's one of our contacts. Is it, go- you know, is it potentially going to go anywhere yet? Like, filling out all wow. this information. So tell me, okay, so what, so it was it right after high school when you did? So I went to a year of college first. Okay. I played college basketball for a year. Where? And then, so a small, it's called the College of Idaho. It's a small D2 school in uh, Idaho. Four so, year? Four year. Okay. Yeah, liberal arts school. So I went there, and like I, w- I was never like some Mormon kids. Like from the time they're young, they're saying, no matter what, I'm going on a mission. Like it's, you know, it's almost, and you know, we I think we've talked about this, but, and I think the word cult gets a, a negative connotation, right? Um, but it's almost cult like in that they say from like five years old, whatever, I'm going on a mission. Yeah. Right? Like that's. Yeah, that's something you can aspire to, I guess. Whatever. It's pretty culty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I was never that kid. I was never okay. like dead set on this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. And then it just finally came to the point where it's like, all right, I'm here playing college basketball. I really don't want to go. But it's like I really feel like I have no other option. It's like if I don't, you know, everybody. And, you know, I think joining the box and like why Lonnie and since I've joined, like it's really – provides a sense of community right and i think religion provides that for a lot of people and that was your sense and of community yeah and so and sp- when we moved here we never we've never been to a mormon church since we've been here yeah and so that really fills the gap for a lot of people so anyway if you choose not to go your community judges you and like what's wrong with you or mm-hmm. and to, to be able to go i won't get into all the details but to be able to go on a mission you also have to be living your life a certain way and not making you know very very strict lifestyle and if you're not doing that then you can't go and so people automatically assume that you're you know sinning or doing whatever and you're just not able to go right and so there's a whole bunch of stigmas around not going uh-huh. so uh it just came to the point where i was just like i'm just gonna go and tough it out and i did and how long was your mission everybody goes for so so for men, <laughs> it's weird. It's like totally arbitrary, I guess. I don't know where they, how they determine the length. But so for men, boys, 
it's two years. And for girls, if a girl decides to go and a girl is once again, totally optional, they don't have to go. There's no pressure on them to go. But if a girl decides to go, it's 18 months. Is there more pressure on men to go for sure? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Girls, girls they would prefer to get married. Uh-huh. Like go to, go to school, go to BYU, which is a church school, which anybody knows Mormonism. So go to BYU, find a husband, get married. That's more important for a girl to do than to go on a mission. Interesting. Yeah. And so, and so Japan. So I took two years of, of Japanese in high school. Okay. So I had an older cousin that came to live with us for a little while, and he went on a mission to Japan. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool, kind of interesting. And he would speak and write Japanese. And I was like, and they offered it Japanese in high school in Idaho. Yeah. I'm like, I don't want to take French or Spanish. I'll take Japanese. So I took two years. So that's the other thing. You don't get to choose where you go. That's, they tell you where you're going. But they put, when you fill out the forms, like they call it turning in your papers. When you turn in your papers and fill out all your background information and everything, you put down if you know any foreign languages or if you've studied any foreign languages. So, of course, I put um, Japanese down, kind of hoping that I would. I didn't want to be in the United States. Like, I didn't want to be these two guys. On bikes. On bikes. Um, but we'll get, I'll tell you the story, but you rode a bike in Japan. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead. Sorry. Imagine (laughs) six, six, five Russ, uh, riding a a little tiny, like uh if you see some of the bikes in Japan, yeah, that was me. So, um, I didn't want to be, they call it stateside. I didn't want to be in the United States. I wanted to go somewhere, you know, because, and part of it's like, I can't. Like part of it was always like I never wanted to be defined by like my religion or like people judge me because of my religion, mm-hmm. right? And so when you see people like you see two dudes wearing shirt and ties and these black name tags, whatever, riding bikes, like oh those are more missionaries, and automatically before you even get to know that person, you you form an opinion of them, yeah, or you know something about them or what they're they're about, right? And so I wanted to go somewhere foreign, maybe where that would be less, you know obvious uh, yeah less obvious or less of an issue mm-hmm. and so anyway when so you turn on your papers in and then you wait like two months and then they send it to you in the mail and you open it up and it's called your mission call so i got my mission call and it said i'm going to fukuoka japan and it was f-u-k and i almost pronounced it <laughs> <laughs> incorrectly as I, I had no idea where fukuoka japan is but uh-huh. it's the southernmost island of mainland japan um so went to went to fukuoka Fuku, Fukuoka, Japan for two years. How old were you when this happened? 19. So Whoa. from 19 until 21, I was in Japan. And I heard that you have to pay for everything too. You do. You do. So, <laughs> so if. Dude, this sounds super <laughs> culty, bro. <laughs> yeah. And like I said, well, and like when you hear about like, like Mormonism or high demand religions, which I consider Mormonism to be, it's like. Man, how could you ever believe that, right? It's but like that's all you knew. That's all I knew. That's that's what I grew up. Like I said, like 50-60% of my high school is Mormon. It's like not odd. Like everybody else is believing what I believe or you like and you're taught not to question any of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like I never was exposed to anything else or exposed to the outside. Like yeah, you had friends that weren't Mormon, but it was just like, oh, they they haven't they don't they haven't seen the light yet. <laughs> it's yeah, a matter yeah. of time. Like, I need to introduce them to the missionary. Yeah. So, I mean, I was never that guy, but ultimately, that's what you're taught to do. Like, yeah. invite your friends over to the house, get them comfortable with you, and slowly introduce the <laughs> missionaries in there. <laughs> and then we'll, we'll get them baptized. Uh-huh. We'll invite them to a little swimming party. Yeah. <laughs> so, at the end of the day, I mean, that's, 
that's the goal of the religion is to get more members, right? It's you can't you gotta you convert the whole world. Yeah, that's so, crazy. Yeah. So anyway, it's a high you know high demand religion, a lot of responsibilities. They keep you very involved for obvious reasons. And again, I still have family in it, so I'm not here to disrespect it or anything like that or any any anybody's choice of their belief system especially coming from that is like i don't question what anybody wants to believe right as long as yeah. you're not hurting anybody else or you know negative impacting people's lives which again there's that argument about religion whether you know some religions anyway whether they do more harm than good and you know you can even make that about like the history of conflict throughout the world but i think for the most part religion is good it gives people a set of values and for the most part there's good ethics yeah Involved and it gives um, people guidance in their life. I think so too. And like I said, the sense of community. <clears throat> yeah. Like Mormons will do anything for other Mormons. Like I'm moving. Like you say, I'm moving. There will be like 10 dudes show up at your house with trucks and like we're he- here to help you move. Like well, you, shit, when I'm going to move, I'll, I'll, exactly, I'll be Mormon for a few days. <laughs> yeah. You like your kids get sick. Oh, can we bring you over dinner? Like uh-huh, something's, yeah. something's wrong. Like they are there for each other. Like that's very strong sense of community. And Mormons in general, great people. Super friendly, super family oriented. Like that that aspect of the religion is you know, there's not a lot it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, not sure. a lot like that. So again, it's not I'm not here to just bash it or say negative things about yeah. it. But so anyway, yeah, I was in Japan for, for two years and it's like and so I'm generally a pretty upbeat person, right? Pretty happy go lucky, like let things you know don't let a lot of things bother me but man i will tell you what like i was i was thinking of ways so that's the thing you don't want to get sent home like who who would send you home so you have what's called a mission president oh so there's somebody there in japan who you report to yeah okay yeah and it's kind of broken out like there's other um so like you have it's like broken up in geographies and you like have a leader like if you got Again, you're only 20, 21 years old, but like the more experienced missionaries would be called leaders of that area. And so you ultimately have to report to them and report your numbers into them. And then they report them up. Again, it's just like a, it's a business. It's a, you didn't even get compensated <laughs> for getting leads. You, you pay. You're, you're paying to be there. <laughs> you're paying them for this awesome experience. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or you go volunteer two years of your life. So, um, yeah. So you, uh, yeah, you're there and you have a mission president. It's like, it's somebody that's high up, has high status in the church and they're managing that whole, uh-huh. they're managing like 150, 160 missionaries. So they would, if you do something bad, like if you like get caught with a girl. Golly, yeah. holding hands with a girl, like not, get, go home. Not just holding, I mean, it probably has to evolve into something a lot more than just holding hands. Kiss her on but, the cheek. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You get to first base, man. You're going home. <laughs> so anyway, you don't want to get sent home for something like that. But I was thinking of ways like, dude, what if I just somehow broke my leg so I could get sent home? Or oh, like, you wanted to be sent home. Yeah. So you didn't like it? So so what you're doing... So the thing about Japan is, right? Japan is Buddhist. A Buddhist yeah. country, right? Mm-hmm. You're trying to convince people that have had a religion mm-hmm. in their country for thousands and yeah. thousands of years that this Western religion, right? Their concept of Christianity is a Western religion, right? You're trying to convince them that this Western religion is better for them. And they're very 
ancestrally oriented. Yeah. Like respect your elders, yep. respect where you came from, and you're trying <clears throat> to tell them everything they taught you is wrong. Here's the correct thing, uh-huh. right? And so Japan, I don't know how familiar you are with Japan. Japan has these, they have houses, but it's like where people live is so condensed. Um, like a lot of people live in apartments. Like it's like, it'd be very rare for like, you'd be a billionaire to have a piece of property like this in Japan. It's just property is a premium. So they live in apartment buildings and you would go and knock doors. In apartment buildings. Like apartment buildings with thousands of doors. Uh. And most of these apartment buildings have intercoms. So they're not even opening the door. Uh. So you're knocking on the door and they're like, you know, you're talking to them through an intercom and like, as soon as they sense like, oh, you, you, you tell them where you, who you are and what you're like, they say- they Stop answering They, the they say kekko des, kekko des, which means no thanks. And move on to the next one. And it's like, that's how you spend your day? Yeah. Like, what am I doing here? What, I'm like, not accomplishing anything. Yeah. They don't want to hear what I'm having to say. I feel like I'm wasting my time. You know, it's like, I could have been home playing college basketball and I'm here, I'm doing this and I don't think it's really effective. And mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's one thing if whatever you're doing, you're successful at it, right? But you're in Japan. It's like, people aren't knocking your door down and you're not knocking their door down to like, yes, let me join a, a religion that's based on Christianity or has some sense of Christianity to it. What, what was you, what do you believe your success rate was? Out of every hundred, how many did you get to listen? And then how many oh. did you get to actually convert? So, so the whole time I was there, two, the two years I was there, two people converted. And we're talking about probably tens of thousands of inter- interactions. Oh yeah, easy. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So again, they always say, again, this was within the morning, like don't judge your success on your mission based on the number of people that you converted, right? But at the, at the end of the day, that's what, that's, that's what matters. That's what matters, Yeah. right? That's the numbers they, they keep track of. That's what they really care about. So yeah, I mean, two people converted. And now it's like, now that I'm not involved with the religion, I also feel bad. It's like, I wanna, I, did, I haven't. Go I back to those call people. people and say like, <laughs> <laughs> I sold you a bill of goods, man. Let me tell you the, let me tell you how I really feel about it now, right? I mean, you do feel some sense of guilt, right? That's yeah. like, especially like, I'm not involved anymore. I don't, I don't believe the, the core tenets of the religion anymore. And here's why, you know, but again, I think, so a big problem, just like with any, door-to-door sales, whatever, retention rate, right? Like, I doubt either of those two people even stayed with a religion, mm-hmm. especially in a place like Japan where you don't have a good support system. Mm-hmm. Like, you're, they were the only ones in their families that joined, and so when the rest of your family isn't supporting what you do, it's gonna be very tough to stay with it. Where did you live there? So, that's the other thing about a mission. So <clears> you <throat> live with another person. Like, they're, it's called a companionship. You're there, like, they don't ever want you to be alone. Like you're you live with another Mormon from here, though? Or Japan. Oh, okay. So there so, are Mormons in Japan. Yeah. I mean, not from the U.S., from states. No, no, they were, yeah. Oh, okay. Missionaries long time ago went over and, like, there's... Okay. There's, I don't know how many members there are there, but significant amount. Okay. So, yeah, there's there's Mormons all over the world. And you lived with a Japanese Mormon? So, so I had 11 different people I lived with. Eight of those people were Japanese. And so when I first got there, the person I first lived with was Japanese, spoke no English. And I'm like, so before you go there, they put you, they'd send you to a place called the Missionary Training Center. And you spend two months there, like crash course on like religious topics and the language. 
So they put you through a crash course, but very minimal conversation at that point. So I get over there and like, I can't really communicate with him. He can't communicate with me because he doesn't speak English. So again, that's why I was like, how do I get out of here, man? I can't even talk to the person I live with. I can't read any of the signs here. I don't know <laughs> what anything is. I would go in meetings where we'd actually meet with people like this, right? And you're sitting down and he's he's talking to him because we're meeting Japanese people and I'm just daydreaming the whole time. <laughs> we're like, I have no clue what these people are even talking about. Like, I'm just, what am I? And you're sitting on the floor because they don't have chairs. Yeah. You're, like, they have these little... Japanese culture. Yeah, yeah, these little tables called the kotats. And you're, it's got a heater underneath it for the winter time it's got a blanket around it and you sit around that Indian style uh-huh. and you know my mobility <laughs> so I'm, I'm sitting there having to sit there like Indian style for long periods of time my legs are falling asleep and I'm just like daydreaming about anything else but because I don't know what they're talking about uh-huh. and then I mean it does get better because you know you learn the language and like I still wouldn't say I'm fluent in English <laughs> let alone Japanese but I, I can you could get by in Japan for oh yeah sure. yeah yeah I can Fully conversational in Japanese. Wow. Yeah. Were you a giant Yeah. in Japan? So I tell a lot of people I was a walking freak show. Because <clears> I would be in places in Japan, too, where... So I don't know if this is true or not, but I heard Japan is like 99% Japanese. Okay. So there is not a lot of immigration or people coming in from... Like, you go to a town and, like, it's very rare to see somebody of a different ethnicity. So when I'd go to these small towns and they would see me, like little kids would literally be afraid of me. Whoa. Like they would see me, like this big, tall, white guy, and they don't see anybody my height. Yeah. And, you know, see somebody that's not Japanese and they would like hide behind their parents or... Ah. And like, I don't know if you've seen, like, I don't know, Japanese trains or whatever, they cram people in mm-hmm. there or whatever. Like the high school, everybody takes the train in Japan. Very, a lot of people don't have cars. It's like trains and bikes, all public transportation. So I'd get on a train full of like high school kids and they'd get on, they'd, they'd see me and they'd all just start laughing. Like one, like laughing out of amazement, two laughing, just like, who is this guy? What's yeah, this guy doing randomly. here? Like what's this random dude, just tall white dude hopping on our train in the middle of nowhere? And, yeah. Yeah. So that part was hard too. And like I said, the bike. So when I first got there, so they tell you not to bring a bike with you. They said, when, once you get here, you order a bike, right? For most people, that's fine. For a 6'5 guy in Japan, they don't just have mountain bikes chilling out that you can order off the shelf, right? Uh-huh. So the first, that's the other part. Like, I'm in a completely foreign place. I can't read anything. The food's all different. I mean, the culture shock, time change, everything is just so overwhelming. Living with somebody I can't even speak to. And then when I am cruising around, you have to wear a helmet, right? So we're wearing our helmets. Uh-huh. And I'm wearing, riding like this. They call it the mamachari. A grandma bike. It's got like the banana seat, the big old <laughs> banana seat, and my knees are like hitting my chest, you know, cruising uh-huh. around on this bike, and like people are like, what is this, <laughs> you know? And I'm just like, I can only imagine what I look like, right? And just feeling out of place and different, and so f- eventually I did, you know, get a mountain bike ordered, and that's what I rode for full two years, <clears throat> cruised around the whole time, never had a car. Wow. Two years, cruised around on a mountain bike. How big was the area that you? Uh so it was, it's called, so again, Fukuoka is the largest city of Kyushu. Kyushu is the island. So J- Japan is made up of islands. Can you give me an idea? So of it's four, about Kyushu. four hours across and four, five hours north to south. Okay. So, yeah, easily fit. From here to Dallas-ish? Yeah. Yeah, not big. And you can't leave that area the whole time. You are not allowed to go outside. Like, I couldn't even go to another part of Japan. And, and visit. 
So in the area that they call you, it the mission boundaries. You cannot leave your mission boundaries. Really? Nope. And if you left, see ya. Why didn't you leave then? <laughs> well, I mean, again, you don't want to be sent home necessarily for, for. Oh, breaking a rule. Yeah. You would rather be like you I mean, broke I can, your leg. I, I've, I've never been in the military, but I relate to like the military, right? You don't want to be dishonorably yeah. discharged, right? Mm-hmm. You don't want to be like, oh, you sent home because you broke the rule. You got sent. I was looking for ways like I could get sent home, like would be respectable. Uh-huh. Like, oh, you broke your leg, or oh, you did this. <laughs> like, bro, you were thinking about breaking your own leg. <laughs> I was thinking about any way to get the out of there, man. I was just like, <laughs> I'm so miserable. Like, I'm not. Like I'm, I don't really ever get like down or depressed, and I was just like, dude, like this is, wow, this is miserable. Again, not being able to talk to anybody. Yeah, you can't talk to your family. Yeah, the only way you can communicate with your family is through letters. So they completely isolate you from your family. You can only talk to your parents twice a year, Mother's Day and Christmas, on the phone. Wow. They've they've since e- they've lightened up the the restrictions since then, and they allow like. Skype or FaceTime or whatever. But when I was out, only letters. So again, you're sending letters back and forth from the US to Japan. Takes a while too. Takes a long time. Yeah. And so like two weeks after the fact, I'm getting a letter that stuff happened, you know, and then I send a letter and it's like a month lag in communications. You're like That's pretty crazy. Yeah. I mean I, I think <clears throat> it's intentional though, obviously too. It's like they isolate you for a reason. They want you to be solely focused on whatever you're yeah. doing and you know call it indoctrination call it what you want but that's so when you were out there what was like the furthest you had gone away from where you lived so you said you lived with other people in a house yeah, we lived in apartments okay. mainly, mainly apartments and so, so it'd just be like here like wherever you have an apartment like the two dudes you met they live in an apartment most likely somewhere and just those two dudes living together oh okay but you said you lived with eight other J- japanese guys so those two guys won't spend the whole time together so they'll spend like three months together and then one of them will get shipped out and a new one will come in. I see. And then that guy, they'll spend, and then that other guy will get shipped out a new one. So they rotate, uh-huh. you rotate through. So I had 11 different guys I lived with. Oh, I see. Eight of those 11 <clears throat> were Japanese. So the other three were what? Um, one, was from, one was from Nevada. One was from Australia. And I think the other guy was from Oregon. So three of them you were able to communicate with. Yeah, yeah. And there were other people, like you would meet up with people, like there would be like other missionaries close by that you could go and there would be English speakers. Mm -hmm. But the guy I was living with, again, and the the other thing is you get no alone time. Like you're always with somebody. And that's the first time. And I don't know how they do it now, but I can only imagine like you couldn't have that phone with you. Like kids now, like as much as electronic devices, like I always got to have one in my hand yeah. and like, that's just part of you. Can't have that. Can't have any influence to the outside world. Wow. Like I didn't know anything that was going on. Yeah. So it's like, fast, you know, Columbine? I mean, mm-hmm, the yeah. shooting? I, yeah. mean, I don't remember because I yeah, was too, too young, young, but. So that happened while I was there. I was like, I didn't, I don't even think I found out about that until I got home. Like maybe I found out about it, but that was like the first major, like that was a huge deal. Yeah. Like even, but I was just like oblivious to what was going on in the world. They don't want you to be influenced at all by anything from the outside. So what was the furthest you had gone to go try to speak your, your mission? So no, did you, you like stay, take your... You stay on that island the whole time. Yeah, but you said the island's pretty big. I mean, yeah. it's four hours But you're, you're So you're, you're also assigned to a certain, like you'll be in, 
So say those guys that you met, I don't know where you saw them at. Um, right there near um, TPC Parkway, like where that hotel is near that yeah. resort, there's a park over there. Okay. Yeah, so they probably have like a 10 mile radius that they that that's their considered area uh-huh. and they're not they don't really go outside so of that so how big was your radius so they were big because you have a lot less they do it kind of based on how many like if there's a church building there and then how many members of that church you know so they were big areas so i mean some of them could be you know up to a 100 mile radius oh shit but yeah. you would you would what take your the train you take your, your you ride your bike to the train stop and then take a train and then you get off the train and walk to wherever you're going. Oh, a lot wow. of walking, a lot of bikes. And it rains all the time there. Wow. So you'd have to wear... So, and we have to dress... You have to wear a shirt and tie and slacks all the time. And so you'd have to wear a rain suit <clears throat> and dress shoes. So you're riding a bike with a rain suit on over that. Humidity is just unbearable. Is it bad there? Oh, yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and wearing a rain suit and it was just I mean, again when I talk about miserable days there were some very miserable dark days of just like dude what am I doing I'm wearing you know nobody's <laughs> nobody wants to hear what I have to say yeah. I'm looking like a <laughs> like a freaking clown here with my helmet and my rain suit on with a suit underneath it you know it's like anyway okay so back. what about food did you enjoy it? were you able to eat a certain yeah so or only so certain I'm, I'm, a, I'm a very picky eater okay I, my palate has increased over time but like at first i was like I, I did okay with sushi and sashimi and stuff like that but like so one of the areas i lived in called kumamoto oh you lived in multiple places oh yeah yeah so you just like again so i would be in an area for like three months and then somebody new would come in, then I would transfer out and go to another area. But all so they bounce island. you around. All all on that island. Okay. Just live in different cities on that island. Like okay. you go from Bolverde and then your next town is Halotas. And Got you go it. from, okay. you know, different you know, maybe you get sent up to Waco, right? So you just bounce from city to city. And uh, so one of the areas I lived in called Kumamoto, their delicacy, like what? Raw horse meat. So and then they like they sell like octopus. They mm-hmm. call it taco. Taco is the word for octopus in Japanese. Takoyaki, fried octopus. They sell that on the streets. I mean, they sell like all kinds of crazy food. And initially it was like, ah, I can't eat that. But over time, it's like, I love Japanese food now. So Ramen? I'll, oh. I mean, we don't really do ramen justice here, but I love, I love good. It's good out there. Oh, yeah. Way better. Yeah. What about sushi? Way better out there or is it similar? <sighs> So I say the biggest thing with sushi and like, how could you ever tell, right? But once you live in Japan, the quality of the rice. Oh, yeah, and the fish is fresher because it's right there at the yeah. ocean. I uh-huh. mean, but so Japanese people, and I still do it, um, wash their rice before they cook it at least seven times. I do that to get yeah. the starch off. Yeah. So until that water, they wash it until basically that water is clear mm-hmm. that they're pouring off of there. Mm-hmm. So the, you know, you pour your rice in your rice cooker, Stir it around, pour yeah. it out, mm-hmm. keep doing that until the water, and it makes a big difference in the taste. I know that because of my mom. My mom's yeah, Chinese. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you know that. She taught me how to do that. Yeah. But, but that, could, they're the same way. Like, like, you can't just buy any rice there. Like, they're very picky about the type of rice that they eat. You make rice at your house or no? Oh, yeah, yeah. How do you make it? Rice cooker? Rice cooker. Japanese what, rice cooker. What's What type? Uh, jasmine rice? Uh, it's like, no, it's like sticky rice. Like, okay. Not jasmine rice. You know what jasmine Yeah, yeah. No, it's like sushi sure. rice. Oh, okay. Yeah. My kid, well, one of my sons really likes it. Like he, so he puts butter on it. 
like Japanese people, you do not put anything on your rice. What about soy sauce? No. Really? That desecrates it. You never put soy sauce on it. Interesting. Yeah. I feel like... Well, if you're making like fried rice, you would like put it into yeah. the recipe, but you'd never just pour stuff on top of rice. Okay. Yeah, that's like... Maybe I'm wrong, and maybe this is culturally wrong, but I feel like butter on rice is a white... like. A oh, it totally is. Yeah. Uh, Lonnie taught him that. <laughs> 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 like, mix some butter on rice. Like, <clears throat> I mean, I would never eat it that way, but I think probably growing up, my mom would maybe... I, we always like put like... We put like gravy on rice and yeah, yeah, like chicken and gravy. I just grew up eating like rice, soy sauce, some soy sauce on it, or like um, I don't know if you've ever had it, but they make this like dried, shredded. Yeah, yeah, they put that on it. That stuff's pretty oh, I good. I what it's called. I have some. Yeah, I they forgot. put they sprinkle that on top of the rice. Yeah, but that's like the only thing. Like what about that. seaweed flakes? Do they? Do yeah, that? yeah. I mean, because they again, you'd wrap it in seaweed. So yeah, but like a lot of the stuff that we would put on rice or do to rice is just like. Oh, that's a disgrace. What are you doing? And tempeniaki, is that popular there? Yeah. So... Because, like, Benihana's, you know Benihana's? Yeah. I mean, so a lot of those places, though, are you do it yourself. Oh, okay. So you, you go sit down at a table like this, and it's got a... It's called a, a tabehodai or yakiniku. So it's... You go... They just have, like... It's amazing. I wish we could go sometime, but they have just, like, walls of meat. Like, dude, thin... Thin shredded meat. You go pick out what meat you want. You bring it back to your table, and then you cook it yourself. Yeah. There's a grill in the middle of the table, and you just grill it yourself and just eat until you can't eat anymore. San Antonio does not do world food justice, man. No. Because, no. like, in California, all you can eat, Korean barbecue. Yeah, so it's basically Korean barbecue. Dude, we would go yeah. all the time yeah. and just get round after round until, like, you could barely move. Yeah, they call it yakiniku, which basically translates <clears throat> to fried meat. So you just thinly sliced meat, you just pick out whatever you want. So you like Korean barbecue? Oh, love it. Bulgogi, all that stuff? Yeah. All right, let's yeah. go get some bulgogi. There's yeah. a there's a Korean. Oh, I mean, it's it's Japanese. Is it Japanese or is it more Korean or that, both? I think that part, that aspect of it, the whole like Korean barbecue, like Japanese adopted that. Oh, okay. Because there's some Korea. There's a good Korean place in town. That's pretty good. And they have bulgogi, but they don't have like the... But I had never been to a restaurant like where they do the whole like, you know, the chef is putting on a show for you. Like they don't really have... Oh, have you ever been to that at all? Not there. Here, yeah. That's not a thing there. Oh, okay, okay. That's like America's like idea of what they do over there, I think. I never went to a restaurant where the chef is putting on a show for you and flipping meat and doing all these tricks and stuff flip, like that. Crack the egg. <laughs> yeah. like the, the, flip, uh, flip a shrimp into your mouth. Or what is it? The, the, uh, the, the onion? The onion tower. Yeah, the flaming the tower. Yeah. So when you were living in the apartment, did you guys ever like party, drink? <laughs> no. So so Mormonism, you no alcohol. So no alcohol, no smoking, drugs, no coffee. Um so yeah no no coffee coffee so, so is that one of the rules too like you get drink a cup of coffee get oh. the fuck out of here <laughs> yeah. uh, i mean probably not for coffee but alcohol for sure yeah if you got busted drinking alcohol you get sent home yeah so none of that i mean there's there's stories definitely of missionaries that have done those types of things but i don't know for whatever reason too the mission i was in like they call it a like obedience or whatever the the, the missionaries in mine were like people followed the rules like there wasn't people that were like the things people would do is like very like <laughs> i don't know very childish i guess you'd say like mm. like one of the extreme things you do is like 
go steal donuts out of the dumpster after they threw them away at night. Wow. Like that you was, ever did that? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Good yeah. donuts at least? Oh, yeah. They were good donuts. <laughs> I mean, they were like, yeah, Japanese people take care of their food and it's very, uh, very okay. clean and stuff like that. So it wasn't like your dumpster, you were dumpster diving. But yeah. like that was, because you had to be home. Like you have a, you have a, a nine, I think our curfew was 930. Like you had to be in and then you had to check in with somebody at 930 when you got back to your apartment. Like you, they didn't. There wasn't room to do that unless you were purposefully trying to break the rules. Yeah. So it's very like I don't know. Again, I've never been in the military, but I'm assuming very similar to that. Like you have a time where you like 9:30 and then lights out by 10:30. And again, it's just you and the other person. So like if the other person's down to do whatever, you can, you know. Did you ever sneak out or anything? Not really. I didn't. I mean, no. I was. I wasn't trying to get sent home for those reasons or, and they also say, so this, <laughs> this is when you say culty, okay. right? So if you're breaking the rules or if they say, like, as they refer to, if you're being disobedient, you're not going to see success because God will punish you for, for, so if you want to be successful and you want to get people to join, then you have to be following all the rules. Otherwise God will punish you. So breaking the rules or sneaking out doing whatever is counterintuitive yeah if you want to be quote-unquote successful did they did they encourage you to rat on your other yeah oh wow yeah yeah Yeah. you had to like um send in like weekly like i don't not really progress reports but just like talking about your situation and how things were going with your companion and stuff Uh like you called it your companion so how (coughs) things were going like that yeah do you communicate with any of them anymore? Um, like, they're on Facebook. It's it's amazing, too, how many of them are same situation as I'm in now. They left? Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. I think a lot of people have... The thing is, Mormonism is still a fairly new religion, right? Um, and the Internet has not done Mormonism a lot of favors in that you can go and research a lot of this stuff, mm-hmm. right? Again, growing up in it, I was just, I believed the, the company line. I believed what I was told without checking anything. And they told you, don't research anything. Anything people say negative about is coming from, you know, the devil or whatever, the adversary. <laughs> uh-huh. So don't, don't believe it. They're just trying to get you off on a path that you shouldn't be on. So I think, I think, I know for a fact Mormonism is having a very hard time recruiting new members and then even more difficult time keeping people like myself that have you know come across things and yeah. found troubling and then decided this isn't for me anymore so yeah a lot of the people I mean there's still plenty of people that are in it but a lot of people have left so when I was there at the park with those guys I put a video up of one of them trying to walk on the slack line and my friend just was like hey man just so you know like I heard this is me just being the messenger but he said like supposedly the creator of mormonism is known to be like some fucking gigantic scam artist and like he has done way worse shit and it's like is that true what do you know about that yeah <clears throat> so again without like disrespecting I mean, it, any, anybody can go research this stuff okay. right but yes so and one of the big things about mormonism and always has been and there's a south park episode about it if <laughs> you tell me you want to go watch it it's 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 actually very spot on. And the same guys that did South Park did the book Mormon Play. Uh-huh, I heard. Which, I is, heard. which is amazing. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've if you're an active, believing member of Mormonism, you'd find it very sacrilegious or whatever, but it's, it's, it's very funny and very well done. Um, but anyway, 
one of the big things of Mormonism is polygamy, multiple wives, right? And he, the founder of Mormonism, and you find this with a lot of cultish like religions or whatever. Like they want to say, uh, before he says anything, <laughs> I feel I've seen it's reoccurred. The founders of cults want to be able to fuck everybody. Yeah. And I mean, nobody's allowed to. I mean, look, look. I mean, recently there's that show with David Koresh and the Branch of Idiots. Mm-hmm. He had the same same, same scheme, right? So, but I was always raised in that way. They kind of get you to believe what that is. So men were fighting wars, and men were off doing other things or whatever. And so there was more women than men, and the men had to take care of the women. And like had to have more than one wife to help support them because it was the you know the wild west or whatever at that time the the seventeen eighteen hundreds you know and so um, that was how it was always explained away to me but when you research it it was actually like there wasn't more men than women there wasn't so anyway <coughs> he instituted the practice of polygamy yeah and he he was a treasure seeker like he would go like get people to pay him and say I can go use my magic powers and find treasures on your property for you. <laughs> It would never, it would never pan out. He would never end up finding these, right? Uh-huh. And then, miraculously, he, you know, you said the Mormon book. He miraculously found this Book of Mormon, what's allegedly these golden plates, and he found these golden plates and and uh, translated them. Wow! Through the power of God, and that's what's now known as the Book of Mormon. Wow! Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, he was very. I mean. I think if it were today's time, there's no way he would have been able to continue on with this grift, right? Yeah, people yeah. would have been out at him and like, but it was the 1800s and he got people believing and then he, he ultimately was killed and the guy that took it over after him is the one that moved everybody to Utah, kind of away from everybody else, this, this land that nobody really had control over and was able to really grow and the religion thrived and... Kinda. Speaking of you, so my brother went to Dixie State for college. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> he said it was fucking terrible. Yeah. Nine thirty, the whole place shuts down. Yeah. He again, got he got caught drinking, and the cops automatically. It's like, dude, you're drinking, you get written up. You get he yeah. got a ticket like right away, and it's like, dude, what other college? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean there probably are other like really. Um, Orthodox Christian colleges that are the same way. Yeah. Like I think of like Oral Roberts, I think is one in, in Oklahoma. But like BYU, all the BYU schools. So I actually graduated from BYU Hawaii. So I ended up transferring out to Hawaii and went to the BYU school out there. But same thing. Very, very strict. Very, they want to control your life. They want to control yeah. the decisions you make. And yeah, very, I mean, Dixie State, while it's not a church school, quote unquote, I mean, anything in Utah. And anything in Utah, politics down to law enforcement, everything is controlled by the religion. And Whether I'm, people want to admit that or not, it's it is. I'm guessing the cops that he ran into were Mormon, and yeah, so that's I mean, why the, they. I mean, it's changed over time. The demographic, especially of Salt Lake City, um, there's a big tech boom going on, and like they call it the. Uh, I can't remember what they're calling it now, though. Anyway, there's a big tech tech boom going on through that whole kind of corridor there, uh-huh. and so the the demographics are changing, like the. I'd say the population of Salt Lake itself is less than 50% Mormon, but the state as a whole has got to be like close to 75%. So the chances are those cops were Mormon. Yeah. Yeah, and so they they think no matter what, that person's drinking and shouldn't be drinking, especially, Mm -hmm. was he underage? 
Yeah. Yeah. So again, they're you know they're going to be less lenient, less likely to give you a pass or whatever. Because they think not Mormon, huh? Well, the, 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 they automatically think you're sinning. Right? Yeah, that's a yeah. sin to them. Uh-huh. Not only are you breaking the law, but you're also sinning. Yeah. So. See, because the, for the most part, like, I just feel like it, with other, if you were at like a, a school, like let's say Texas Tech or you know Austin, they would just go home, pour the beer out, go home. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's not going to get a ticket. Yeah. But no, it it's very, it <clears throat> very regimented. These are the rules. You need to follow them or else. Yeah. So how did you decide or come to the conclusion that you didn't want to follow anymore? And kind of the internet. So I, I came across something and I was like, wait, like what, like what you said about the founder, right? And I'm like, if you would have said that to me about the founder of more than 10 years ago, I would have like, you're wrong, man. No, you're, that's not true. Wow. No, I would have been like, no, that's even though I wasn't, I would never consider myself like a staunch believer of it. If you were a critic of it, I still would have been like, nah, that's not, no, like say what you want about it, but that's, that's not true. And so then I came across something like just saying, not necessarily even disparaging, but just saying what were to this person, I guess, purported facts about the church, like these things. And I'm like, wait, I've never heard that before. What was it? I don't even remember exactly <clears throat> what it okay. was, but I think it was some things about the founder, Joseph Smith. Uh-huh. And I was like, like the, he was even a polygamist. Like all my years growing up, Joseph Smith only had one wife, but... I mean, he had like 40 wives, but they never tell you that. Oh. Never tell you that. They don't want you to know that, right? Oh. That's They whitewash a lot of the history. And so, and I was like, well, that, that doesn't make sense to me. So then I spent two years, um, probably, I mean, two years like digging into the history. Like I would go on business trips, like, and it wasn't like I was out like, like, doing whatever like you know enjoying myself on these business trips i would go back to my hotel room and like do research because that's or, like your whole belief system I, it was my whole it was like my whole down, yeah huh? and lonnie didn't like i wasn't even i wasn't talking to anybody about it like my whole family is mormon my lonnie's more you know raised our family in the, and i was like i was like this is something i need to go through on my own so this was kind of recently like 2000 probably 13 ish okay yeah so we were living in dallas at the time and I you were with Lonnie at the time? Yeah, yeah, we were married, living in Dallas. And uh, so anyway, I I was like, man, I got to find out all this stuff. So I was like, on planes, like, again, I travel a lot for my job. I'd be listening to podcasts and just trying to like find out as much information as I could. And so I spent like really like two years um, trying to figure it all out. And then like, it's amazing how much stuff is out there when you go, and even now, now more than there was then, but... Um, when you go digging for it, right? Like, oh, yeah. you, you want to find the history of something, especially again, Mormonism's like a two hundred year old religion. Like, it's like you know, Catholicism, some of these other religions that have been around forever. It's like, no, you like you have to take people's word for whatever. Allegedly, like there's no really. Yeah, way. I mean, it's like the Bible, right? It's <laughs> yeah, like it's passed so on. Long ago. Yeah, so long ago. It's like none of those facts are verifiable. Yeah. You can't go and. So, but Mormonism is recent enough that there's still, you know, people that were there, witnesses, things that happened and other, other versions of events that you never heard about. And at the end of the day, right, you still have to decide for yourself. Like people can dispute, like people, like this is the way I look at it. Like you and I could leave this conversation, have two completely different versions of what we think transpired here, right? Mm-hmm. So the story is always told from the person that person's point of view and people can have different perceptions or we could have witnesses of 
a crime or whatever and say two different things happened. So I would always take that into account, right? But I would always trust my gut and at the end of the day it was just like, I just can't, like this doesn't make sense to me. Like this, and especially when, like character really matters to me in people and like what their true intentions are. And I think I'm a pretty good judge of character and like understanding people. And the more I got to know about the the founders of the church and people that pass on to them, like these just aren't good people, <laughs> right? At the end of the day, these are just bad people. Yeah. Uh-huh. And God is not going to entrust these type of people <laughs> with establishing his one true church because that's what Mormonism claims. It's the one true church. It's not even like we got some truth and other religions got truth. No, we're the one true church. Oh, we got all this shit right that here. That super culty. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, when you go back and say that, right, it's the one true And there's, like, when, from, so it's called bearing your testimony. Like, you know, like giving a testimony for anything. Okay. Like, every, once a month, you have what's called testimony meeting, where you're allowed to get up in front of the congregation and share your testimony. Well, kids go up there. Like, again, if you would ever go to one of these, like, we should go sometime. Just so you see what's like. Please, yeah. Yeah, we should go. Just check it out. Yeah. Yeah. Just so you can witness it. Because this really is amazing. Like, kids, like, four and five years old will get up there and say, I know this church is true. I know Joseph Smith is the prophet. Wow. Like, at five and six years old. Like, you don't know anything. Yeah. Like, I don't, you know, like, but at that age, and then it's like, like, they're not clapping, but, but it's like someone being praised for what they're yeah, saying. Yeah, it's like that's amazing that that kid at five years old says he knows this wow. church is true, and so it's just things like that, right? Where you say culty, it's like, yeah, it is when you sit back and look at it. And it, again, I think cold the word cold is can get a negative connotation. Oh yeah, for sure, and justifiably so in a lot of instances. But um, yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. So <clears throat> while you were doing all this research. Um, Lonnie was still Lonnie was still fully in so how did you break it to her like how, how it was that, not easy <laughs> how did that go down I mean, that's a whole nother so well t- I mean you have time yeah well I don't yeah. know you're checking your phone but yeah I, my kids get out of school here soon but um, oh, you gotta go pick them up yeah we, I got, we, got, we got time okay so um, so I just basically sat her down and was like listen I don't think this is true anymore like this I don't believe that, that. But before before sitting her down, had you told her at all that you no. were doing research on this? No. So this came yeah. out of nowhere for yeah. her. Yeah. Okay. It's like where is this coming from? And I was like, and then I just and again, you can't you can't go to somebody also and say like through my experience, no matter what it is, well, especially as it relates to the I don't know. Because I think other religions are different. It's not like Mormonism where it's like like Mormonism it used to be where it's church on Sunday was three hours minimum every Sunday like you went to church for three hours yeah and you usually had something at least one other thing going under the week so it's a very integral part of your life so I think other religions like you know you go to church an hour on Sunday or whatever it's just what you do out of habit or whatever and so if if you went to your spouse and said I don't want to go anymore it wouldn't be like life-altering mm-hmm. in Mormonism it's life-altering so like everything you do revolves around the church and it's like you got married so that there's a temple here i don't know if you know about uh, it no so there's a temple down in stone oak okay and that's where you get married like that's the official mormon okay where you get married you get married in the temple and uh so Lonnie and i we were married in the temple and it's like everything in our life was like following the the path of mormonism like taking all the steps you take um just like they'd want you to do and so 
by not, I mean, by me not wanting to be a part of that anymore, that changes everything for your family dynamic, right? It's like, oh wait, that means the, what happened when we got married and what our kids choose to do, that affects all of that. It's not just like dad can go do something else and yeah, you know, I can still raise my kids in this and everything's just gonna be fine. No, it's like, it's a big deal. So, and then I also couldn't like, I knew I couldn't go into it with um, like trying to convince her. Real quick, put that wire under your arm just so that when you lift oh. your arm up, it doesn't keep. Oh, sorry. Because I'm not sure if it's maybe pl- messing with it. Yeah. But go ahead. So, <clears throat> I knew I couldn't convince her, like immediately, like this is why. Yeah. Right. She doesn't want to hear that. She hasn't been. She hasn't done the research I've done for the last two years. It's like two all years of a sudden. Worth of research. <laughs> I mean, Holy I mean, shit. it's not like every day. Yeah, like yeah, Every week, minute, I'm still working. I'm still doing whatever, yeah. right? But. Um, you couldn't you can't immediately go and say this is what i've learned and you need to follow me in this right it's like still you know it wasn't accepting like she was like you know obviously devastated by it like you know what does this all mean and so you have to you have to figure all that out and it takes a lot of time and then again i you know not get into too much of the details of like our marriage and how all that went but um like I would just like over time drop hints about things or just like did you know this or do you ever heard this before uh. like solely ease like just to get her thinking and like have you ever thought about this or you know we do this you know does that make sense why we do this or um, you know they like the the we've always been told the leaders of the church don't get paid but actually they do get paid and this is how much they're getting paid and this is where I found it you can go look at it yourself and it's like no that can't be true and then discovering it and and like oh why, why are they lying about that like if they get paid who cares you know it's like just tell us they get paid don't lie about it don't try and cover it up just just little things right yeah. and so like over time she started like looking into some things too and eventually just came to the same same realization like this isn't the best best way to raise wow. our kids this is what we want to this isn't the best for our family and at the end of the day it's like and she's always like even now it's like what if our kids choose that religion like if they choose it that's fine like that's they if that's what makes them happy then i'm going to support them in that right whatever they but i want them to have the choice because and i don't hold this against my parents at all but i feel like i didn't have the choice like it was never i was never given the choice it was like like i said at eight years old like here you go you're joining this church whether you like it or not yeah and so it's like, yeah, I just, so that's ultimately, you know, make a long story short, that's what happened. It was just like, I told her she was devastated. It was very hard for a very long time. It was like, I will still go to church with you and support you, but I'm not, it's like going to somewhere and like listening to somebody speak about something that you're adamant, like think of something that you're adamantly against or you yeah. don't support at all. And you're having to go sit there and be quiet uh-huh. and let them just talk to you about it and, and you're you like, should be like you motherfuckers are <laughs> lying <laughs> yeah i wanted to hold up a sign <laughs> like put a put a big billboard outside the church and like uh. you know th- this is really what you should know or you should be studying right and again like everybody's on their own paths and whatever but um yeah to just and then i got to the point where like i can't even do this anymore like i can't even go sit there anymore because it's just like I, the stuff they're saying it's it's demonstrably false you can you know it's yeah. it's just not true I can't listen to it anymore it's nails on a chalkboard to me so um, yeah and then she 
this probably took like two years. Well, we moved to, when was we moved? We moved to San Antonio in 2017, like middle of 2017. And when we moved here, we'd never been stepped foot inside a Mormon church again. Okay, so you guys were in Utah, th- or I mean, sorry, Idaho at the Dallas. Time? Oh, Dallas. Yeah. Okay. So we moved to Dallas in 2012. And then shortly after we moved to Dallas is when I started, like, on my... Your detox? My, my, yeah, my, my, my Mormon history <coughs> binge. Oh, okay. Did it... Um, maybe this is a little bit personal, but did it ever get to the point in your relationship where you thought, like, damn, maybe this relationship's not going to work out? Sure. Um... I never like that's that happens a lot so it does happen like that's a very realistic outcome yeah. of, of people in my situation that left the church their their spouse can't handle it and they end up divorced so of course in the back of my mind I thought yeah that's a it's very real possibility you know it's like I've I've you know I've ruined this path that we have the whole family the whole family path. dynamic yeah. you know of they tell you like you got to you know, do all these things and you're going to live eternally together as a family. And if one of you chooses to not do that anymore, then that's not going to happen anymore. You're not going to be a family, you know, in yeah. the afterlife, you're, you know, and it's like, like Mormonism, Mormonism doesn't have a monopoly on the after, afterlife, you know, but yeah, they, yeah. They, tr- they try and convince you that they do. And like only by following what we tell you to believe is you're going to, you know, live eternally with your family. And so me going off that course, ruins all that and so like ultimately it's like yeah she could find somebody that's gonna provide that for her again uh-huh. so yeah that was definitely you guys got in fights and stuff over it i or wouldn't say really. fights um so yeah i mean not really fights just like i i tried to keep it and i try and keep most of my like i don't like fighting i don't really like confrontation discussions More like, yeah have, let's talk about it. Let's have yeah. a conversation about it. Like, yeah. you know, what what issues do you have? I'll tell you what issues I have. What's troubling me? What where can we compromise? Yeah, right. Because I don't want my kids being indoctrinated in this. I want to prevent that. I want to stop that now if I could. But I also, you know, we're fifty fifty in this. You still want them to have some sort sort some like you said with religion, right? Some set of morals. Yes. Some set of belief, right? Mm-hmm. Don't just want them, you know like atheists or whatever i think atheists get a bad rap but anyway i i don't like labels yeah right? i don't same. like i don't like you know why should there be a label for somebody that doesn't necessarily believe that there's a god yeah. anyway i anyway so um yeah figuring out that whole dynamic and how it was going to work but yeah that was a, a very real concern that wasn't going to so I've done a podcast with her. I'm sure you know. Yeah. And like she, I haven't listened to it. She would even she like even during she, I was part of a cult, and I was like, oh <laughs> shit, tell me about it. <laughs> yeah, Lonnie is definitely much more uh, vocal in general than I am. Yeah. Um, and and again, yeah, it's by the true definition, it can be considered a cult. And I didn't mean to come talk to you and talk to you about religion this whole time, but Dude, I, I here's the thing. I want to hear about yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big, it was a big part of my life too, though. Yeah. So that's, that's why I want to yeah. hear about it. Um, but, uh, um, no, it's like, it's, it's for good and bad. It's made me who I am. Like that whole experience, like related to any aspect of life, related to CrossFit, like, seeing something through to the end right even though it sucks the whole time like embracing the suck yeah. that whole mentality of like all right yeah i want to bow out and i want to quit and go home and mail it in but 
like no i'm gonna figure out a way to tough this out to the end like that's that's what i chose to do and i mean it did get better don't get me wrong it did get better over time as you become more comfortable in the country with the food the people the language it gets easier but it's still at the same time it was just like knocking doors all day long is just not something what did you do in your free time out there so you don't have a lot of free time so they give you like one day of week of like free time where you can go play basketball or go do whatever it's called it's called p day it's really short for preparation day but like people will call it play day like where you could go you know slack line or whatever go hang out in the park do whatever yeah. you have one day the rest of the day you're supposed to be filled up with knocking doors, making visits, contacting people at the park, whatever it may be to... Did you play basketball out there with yeah, those? Yeah, little, And you just dunked on those oh, little yeah. Japanese Dumb guys? They're like, you should, you're like, you should come over here and be a pro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it wasn't competitive. They, that's one thing. That, that that was cool about it. Like, oh, you can, like, they don't see people that can dunk, right? It was like, and this was the late 90s. So I was there from 97 to 99. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh... So internet wasn't what it was, you know, exposure to the whole rest. I mean, the bulls were big back then, but, um, anyway, just seeing somebody dunk and playing against somebody that could dunk and stuff like that. was just like amazing for them. I saw you dunk. Like, hey, you call me. Yeah. <laughs> Kobe wasn't around then. Oh shit. What? No, what I mean, Kobe, Kobe no, was? Kobe's the exact same age as me. Uh-huh. So Kobe was like very oh, young. Yeah. Brand new in the NBA. Damn. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Uh, there was one more thing I was going to mention. Free days, playing basketball. Yeah, so we did. I mean, again, they don't want you to have free time. So, the I don't know if this is a if uh, Mormonism has hijacked this, but it's like the idle mind is the devil's playground. Uh, so they don't want you just. They want you being consumed all the time with things related to your missionary work. Yeah, like we had planners that we carried around with us all the time with our whole day planned out what we were going to do. The thing we did though was good uh, and actually really enjoyed doing it was teaching English. So we taught English classes once a week, like as a volunteer, as an ulterior motive to try and we taught English, but uh, our our behind the scenes uh, motive was like, uh, uh, what else do you guys do? Oh well, we also are part of this church, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and we taught the English classes at the church. Uh-huh. So they would have to come to the church. I mean, if they didn't want to hear about the church, it wasn't like we were kicking them out of English class. But that was another another missionary tactic yeah. but we offered for English classes and it really helps you understand your own language and how it does not make sense at all They're like explain the difference between there there and there and why you say yep. them all differently and why they all are spelled spelled differently, differently and like why did why do you put your sentence structure that way because J- the Japanese language makes sense once you learn it the way it's all set up and the way they write and pronounce everything it yeah. makes sense in English I've heard English is one of the hardest it languages is. to learn. I mean, Japanese is hard to learn a lot in the reading <clears throat> and writing aspect of it. But once you learn the basics of it, the only thing, the really hard part about Japanese is backwards from English. It's backwards? Yeah, the way you, like the verb, the, the whole sentence structure is uh-huh. backwards from English. Ah, uh, okay. I mean, you could thank Mormonism for Lonnie and the family, you know? Yeah, that, yeah. That like, I mean, it. yeah, that, I got to spend two years in Japan. Yeah, I mean, I paid for it, but, or my or my parents paid for it. Okay, but yeah. just like being the opportunity to go experience a new culture. Yeah, I think that's right. Huge. Learn something, be on your own for two years. Yeah, force you to. I mean, it forces you to grow up, forces you to have some maturity, forces you to take care of yourself. You're doing your own laundry, you're doing your own dishes, you're cooking your own food. You do all that yourself. So, again, I'd never had a military background, but I 
you know, similar to that. It's like, you don't, you're, you're shopping for your, you're doing everything on your own. Like mom's not there anymore. Yeah. And so just being out on your own, figuring out how to survive. How, how, how when it comes to your own happiness, do you notice or could you say that you're happier out of the religion than you were in? So I think that's a tough question. Um, now I would definitely say I'm happier because I don't feel like, I feel like I can live my life. Based on how you want do, Doing what makes me happy. Yeah. Right. And not like some other person's set of rules that they've given me. It's like, I can make my own choices. I'm not, and not feel guilty for like doing things that would necessarily be um, defined as, as like sinning or whatever, you know, defined as like, oh, you shouldn't do that or. Do you drink a cup of coffee in the morning? Yes, <laughs> yes, I do. I didn't realize how what I was missing out on for all those years. Wait, is is the coffee thing? No Mormons are allowed to drink coffee. No, no Mormons. Really? No, it's no not coffee. just on a mission. Just no coffee no at all. No coffee. What the? F <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> wow. Yeah, no coffee. It's dude. Uh, I make an espresso and every morning. And it doesn't. It doesn't. And it doesn't make sense. Like yeah. they say, well, it's, but you can have caffeine. Like for a long time, they're like, well, you can't have any caffeine. You can't drink Coke or whatever. But like, no, you can drink Coke, but you still can't have coffee. And like, well, why can't you have coffee? And like, I don't know. You just can't have coffee. Wow. Yeah. So I don't know. So you, yeah, no, no, no coffee, no alcohol, no. What are some other interesting rules that you know that, that I would be like, whoa. <laughs> well, you, you're still single. No premarital sex. Okay. Yeah. I've heard of that. Yeah. Yeah. So no premarital sex. Um, it's mainly like the health. Coffee one, I'm just like, what the? Yeah, fuck? I mean that that one's kind of a left field one. It's like that doesn't really make yeah. sense. Like I can understand maybe like no no alcohol and drugs and stuff like yeah, that, yeah, you know, yeah. for health health reasons. But um, yeah, no coffee for a long time. Like when I was in Japan, though, like. It's kind of weird depending on what part of the world you're in, what what rules they believe. Like in in Japan, they were like really no caffeine at all. Uh -huh. So they'd like drink green tea and stuff like that, and it's like nope, can't have green tea anymore. Even though I had that like drink green it tea has every caffeine day. in it. Yeah, so they like they wouldn't let us drink Coke over there because wow. even though we could drink it in the U.S., but over there like no, we don't want you drinking any caffeine at all. Like people in Japan do not their definition of it is no caffeine. I'm like okay. Oh, the the, the Japanese Mormons. Yeah. Or like no caffeine. Oh. Yeah, they took it to a whole nother level. So it's like we couldn't. So even when you were living in Dallas and still going to the Mormon church, you didn't drink coffee or anything? No. no. Wow. No. No beer, no. nothing. No. So when was the first time you had a beer? So, I mean, we all go to high school, right? Oh, I'm, I'm <laughs> fucking telling them, dude. I'm telling them. <laughs> we, all, we all go to high school. We all feel like we have to sow our wild oats. So, I mean, in high school, like I, you know, I wasn't a perfect child. I'm not, you know, so... I did, I did, you know, like a lot of kids do, a lot of, you know. So people, people that do these things, like drink coffee or whatever, or drink beer, drink alcohol, are considered Jack Mormons. So that's the, that's the label they get within the church. Like, and they still believe, they just don't follow all the rules. Uh -huh. So you're considered a Jack Mormon. So there's a lot of Jack Mormons out there. Um, but <clears throat> anyway, like high school, you know, you go to a party or whatever. It's like, but it was like, Alcohol was something that never even like when I did it was appealing to me like it's like yeah. I never like even now like I'll drink occasionally, but it's never like oh I gotta have a drink or it's like yeah. I, mm -hmm. I drink a lot. 
it's like, yeah, when I, that's, that's the freedom aspect of a, like, when you ask me if I'm happier, it's like, if I want to do that, I can do that. Yeah. But it's not like I, there's something telling me I can't do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, I have the freedom to do what makes me happy. Yeah. And what, you know, I feel like is the best decisions now for my family rather than someone else telling me what's the best decision for my family. Yeah. So what about your parents? How, what did they think of you? Like, did you break it to them and how did that happen? So at first my parents were very alarmed. Like they were um, like, you know, kind of like, well, what are you doing? Like, and I lived in Dallas and they were still in Idaho. That's where I'm from. So they were like, uh, you know, like, I, and again, I would, I didn't really get into the details because I, I didn't like, nobody wants to be told really what they're believing is not true yeah right so you have to be very careful with that Mm -hmm. so i wouldn't go into like really the reasons why unless they asked and really they don't want to know like because that challenges their own belief system like they're like when you when you leave the church like they don't give you an exit interview they don't like well why did you decide to not stop coming or you know Mm -hmm. you're just gone like you just okay we're not like a couple times they've like tried, like we're still technically on the rolls or records or whatever, but they don't try and contact us. They, I think they know. So anyway, my parents were, they were at first like, well, what are you doing? Like, you know, okay, you know, how's, how's your family and how's all this? I think that was their biggest concern. Like they still want to make sure like my kids and my wife and everybody was okay. But <laughs> crazy story, both my parents are no longer Mormons. Really? Yeah. Did they so, come to this conclusion on their own? Yeah. So I think, obviously, I, I spurned it in them Go a little bit. Us. I mean, not that I'm a, an anti-missionary now, <laughs> a missionary for the other side. <laughs> I've gotten uh, 12 people to yes. leave Mormonism. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a deconverter now. So my parents have both left and one of my brothers have. So I still have two brothers that are that are active, believing Mormons. So So at first, your parents were... Oh yeah, they were. <clears throat> my whole life, my parents were. But do you think they decided to look into it because? Oh, you're saying because you would bring things up just like you did launch. Yeah, yeah. I would, I would like introduce them to ideas and things they'd never thought about, just because again, it's never told anybody. Like yeah. that wasn't stuff that was talked about. I was like, I was just like, did you know this? Have you heard about this before? Again, not trying to convince them of anything. Like again, with anybody, with anything, with yeah, any, with do anything. your own research. Yeah. Like I'm not, tr- even if I tell you something, it's like, I don't want you to believe me. Like go find out for yourself. Yeah. Right. So I would just tell them to like, look into it yourself. Or if you have questions about it, here's, here's where you can go look, or here's some things that I came across. And then I think just slowly over time there, I mean, I think anybody that's willing to leave has had serious doubts before. So I think my parents were both that way. Like always like, uh, you know, we still feel like this is the best place to raise our family. And I think that's what appeals to a lot of Mormons. It provides a great structure system, support system for a family. And so it's like, why would I leave this? Even yeah. if it's, and I think some people come to the realization that's probably not true, but it's like, I'm not going to leave. I just, it's, it's too much ingrained into my community, my job. Like again, if you're in Utah, like everybody I work with is Mormon. If I leave, I might get I might get fired, mm-hmm. right? My boss is Mormon, and if I tell him I'm no longer Mormon, then he's gonna start, you know, judging me. Blacklist you. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's that aspect of it. I mean, it's it's deeply entwined in a lot of people's lives, and so anyway, my parents left, and probably 
I don't know, three years after I did, and then one of my brothers left about the same time, and Interesting. and experienced coffee and. <laughs> Both, 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 both my parents are like huge coffee drinkers now. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Like coffee. Like why is coffee? Who cares about why is coffee a bad thing? Right? It's like to the outside world. Like who, like you like to start drinking coffee in your sixties. Yeah, and yeah. it's like a big deal, yeah. right? Like yeah. it's coffee. Yeah, that sounds honestly. That sounds a little bit like CrossFit. Like I'll hear sometimes like I heard it's so bad for your joints, and I'm like, yeah, probably, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was funny. I saw this meme today, like CrossFit, like what they told me about CrossFit a year ago when I joined, like, because I'm coming up on my one-year anniversary of CrossFit and what CrossFit actually is. Uh huh. And anyway, it was, it was pretty funny. CrossFit's similar. When, so when I got introduced to CrossFit, that was in California, and my cousins had gone to a gym, and she was, like, telling me the price, and I was like, what the fuck? You're going to yeah. pay that much? Yeah. I could do those workouts in my front yard. <laughs> yeah. And in California – being part of a CrossFit gym was seen as like douchey, like super douchey. Same thing in Idaho a little bit. So I first got int- like I got introduced to CrossFit like probably like 2003 mm-hmm. at a YMCA. Mm-hmm. Like this guy's like, "Have you heard of CrossFit? I'm gonna start coaching CrossFit here." And I'm like, "No, bro, I'm not interested in doing yeah <laughs> whatever you're, you know, this crazy stuff that you like." Nah. But the, back then I was like more into like oh, I want to get more into like I had a cousin that was a bodybuilder and like I would like no I don't care about like benching and curls and squats and like i don't care like about any of this other stuff yeah so yeah it's like no people only do that to get hurt like who you shouldn't do olympic lifts for time and all this yeah yeah same here but also but it can be very culty i mean crossfit is very oh, culty. it is culty yeah, for yeah, sure. yeah but i think we're lucky where when it comes to this community it's like so there's a lot it's a lot of a, like an older generation versus like if I went to a gym with a bunch of people my age, yeah. the dynamic would be completely different. Yeah. Where it's so competitive, where yeah. I'm hurting myself just to try to keep up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Where this is just people who are trying to be better than themselves rather than be better than each other. Yeah. And I think that's huge. Which which should be the ultimate goal of I yeah, think of anything, course. you know, you're yeah. Any workout related, like you're just ultimately trying to better yourself. Mm-hmm. But I must admit, like when I first started like I'm super competitive, right? I like I like competition, and so that's really what attracted me to CrossFit. Even though it's and really doing stuff that I I'm not comfortable doing or hadn't done before, like the humbling aspect of it and trying to get better at things. Like every time I'd go to the gym, I'd pick things to do that I was good at. Mm-hmm. Like this is what I'm good at, so this is what I'm going to do, mm-hmm. and this is what I'm going to focus on. And like coming to CrossFit, it's like I got to do a bunch of shit that I'm not good at yeah. or that I don't want to do, right? Yeah. And somebody else is tell me what to do like in that aspect you know not being not like being told what to do but like workout wise right yeah. someone else is programming what i need to do i just need to show up and and do it yeah so and then i think like i said every i think humans in general want community right they want to be a part of something and so like a lot of my friendships came from church again there's a lot of still still great friends that were part of the church but moving here i didn't know anybody when we moved here right and so i didn't have the church to develop friendships with people and i did i I was very i was traveling all the time very involved in my job and so i wasn't meeting people yeah and like and lonnie noticed that as well it's like you're not you know you don't have any friends here you're not getting out you're not doing stuff right and so um i think the you know the crossfit gym the box is allowed you know you get to know people you hang out with people yeah similar people like-minded people 
because I think at the end of the day, people, you know, want want to be around other people and want to have that sense of community. And cro CrossFit is um, so. So I, we, Lonnie and I joke about it because Mormonism. The crazy thing about Mormonism. So ten percent of everything you give ten percent of it, tithing, right? That's a principle. I think a lot of religions. Yeah. But in Mormonism, it's like you give ten percent no matter what. Before you pay your mortgage, before you pay anything else, you make sure you give your money to the 10% because that, that's money going to God, right? So it's like, yeah, we traded 10% of our income by, by not, by, uh, um, not by leaving Mormonism. We don't, we're not paying 10%, but now we're giving a lot of money to CrossFit. Yeah, the, the <laughs> next cult that you joined. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> buying all the, buying CrossFit shoes. Yeah. yeah. What time do you have to take off? I think I think Lonnie's picking them up, so okay. it's just whenever. Tell me about four by four by forty eight. So you did the four by four by forty eight challenge, yeah. which was so. I think I told you this, but I grew up um, being a competitive runner. So my mom, I think, so like when you're young, your parents identify, or maybe you just you know play sports and like I'm good at something, right? So very early on, I think my mom especially because my mom was a tomboy we had four boys in my family so she was we were always playing sports and my mom was very athletic very good at sports and early on she's like i think she noticed i had a high level of endurance like i was a like i could just outlast my my brothers especially my older brother at whatever we we're doing like i could i can just continue on doing it like if it was running or playing whatever sport i could just last longer and so she's like, oh, we need to get you. And she was sort of kind of getting into running at that point. But she's like, we need to get you into running. So I started running and like got very competitive with it. Like traveled all over the U.S. Oh, doing, shit. Yeah, doing, uh, it was cross country. So doing cross country, like it wouldn't be, like I was like eight, nine years old. Like just going out and like running six miles, like on my own. Like that's something I wanted to go do wow. at that age. Yeah. Um, so... I did that for probably th four, year, four or five years, and then really started getting more into team sports. I'm like, oh, I like team sports better than just going on the six mile run by myself. Mm. So it kind of took a backseat, but my mom was still, like my mom's run the Boston Marathon multiple times. Holy shit. Yeah, she's run, I don't know how many, a lot of marathons. So she's always been into running. And so I've gotten back, so as I've gotten out of team sports, you know, it's I still like to play pickup basketball games. So like whenever there's a pickup game or even I played city league sports a lot until basically I moved here and haven't played, haven't played anything. But uh, so later on in my life, as those other team sports have gone away, it's like I still want to stay active and still. So I started running again. So the four by four by 48 and I'd, I'd followed David Goggins, the guy that came up with it. I've yeah. been so we're both big fans of Joe Rogan and he was on Joe Rogan a couple times like how can you not like this guy so when he came out the 4x4 by, by 48 I was like yeah I'm doing that it's like I run all the time anyway so that won't be that big a deal but the biggest th the hardest part about it for me was the not warming up properly and not cooling down properly so I injured myself I, mm -hmm. I hurt my LCL and I've never had any knee injuries I've never broken a bone um, never like maybe sprained an ankle playing basketball, but been very fortunate. Um, but yeah, it's just, and I talked to Chris Morehouse about this because they just did the, the Grand Canyon. Like, what would you rather do? The 48 miles the way we did it broken up? Um, 
you know, four miles every 48 hours or go 48 hours straight through. And he's like, oh, 48 hours straight through, way better. Um, so the hard part about it was just waking up in the middle of the night and going to run four miles. So you slept a little bit? A little bit. Naps? But yeah, na- you take short little naps because by the time you, you'd finish, right? So my other thing was, so I hurt my, I kind of tweaked my knee at Clack Park. You know, it's a lot of, got a lot of up and down and uneven terrain. So I hurt my knee there. And then after that, I walked Clack Park every time we did that. But the rest of the time we ran. And my goal every time we ran the four miles was to finish as fast as I could. So I was always the first one done. Cause I'm, and I'm, I'm naturally, you know, I'm not, that, that's one of my strengths. I have huh. plenty of weaknesses. Running is one of my strengths. So I'd, I'd be the first one done and like get in my truck and just head home so I could try and relax, whatever. But you're, you're driving to the location, right? So you got at least like a half an hour of drive time. And you get home and you try and get a shower or whatever, eat something. And like by the time that was done, you maybe, maybe had an hour to sleep. So no really consistent sleep. And then it's like, shit, man, I got to go run another four miles now. Yeah. So it's just, it's more, it was more mentally challenging than it was physically. For anybody who doesn't know, it is um, the 4x4x48 four by four by challenge is something that David Goggins created. He's a Navy SEAL. Um, he created this challenge where you do four miles every four hours for 48 hours straight. Yep. Um, and there's probably 16 or 20 <coughs> of us at the box that did it. So, Did Lonnie do it? No. She did parts of it, but she uh-huh. she's so involved with school right now, finishing up her master's that... What was that the was that the longest distance you had traveled in forty eight hours? Run forty eight miles. Yeah. No. So like, so when I was younger, so this is another weird part about Mormonism. Not to backtrack to Mormonism, but go for it. A very big thing with Mormonism, not anymore, but was was Boy Scouts. So like, it, as as part of uh, being a. Uh, the Mormon church was all the boys were in Boy Scouts. So I was in Boy Scouts all growing up. I'm an Eagle Scout. Oh, shit. Yeah. So as part of the Eagles, part of Boy Scouts, we did, we would do 50 mile hikes. Mm-hmm. So at a very young age, we wow, would just go Wow, really? We, yeah, yeah, we'd go on 50 milers. Holy shit. Yeah. A lot, lot of, lot of camping, a lot of backpacking. We did a lot of that. So no, we did, we did 50 milers straight through with a pack on us. So started doing that. So you're familiar with the distance. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty crazy. Have you backpacked anywhere? Yeah. Um, so we did a lot of, I did a lot of camping, backpacking in Idaho. A lot of good places. I like bet. getting ready to go back again this summer with the Morehouses, but to the Sawtooth Mountains, there's a Sawtooth Mountain Range in Idaho. There's all sorts of mountain lakes in Idaho that I backpacked in and out of. Then we did the, the Kalalau Trail in Kauai in November. Uh-huh. Something I'd like to do more of. I really enjoy doing that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, just... Have you heard Five of Havasu kids. Falls? Yeah. Havasu Pie Falls? Yeah. In, the in Arizona? Canyon? Yeah, yeah. That place is that place is really cool. Yeah. I've it's, never done that. I did it. So I've been to the Grand Canyon multiple times, but I've never like really hiked down in it. It's more of like we went there and checked it out and did the yeah. touristy stuff. And That's a cool spot. It's like 15 miles in, which isn't too bad. Um, and it's like right on the river. There are like camp spots like right yeah. on the river. I've heard people talk about it. And like if you go to the Grand Canyon, you need to go do that. Yeah, it's amazing, but it's real sad because it's very commercial now. Yeah, and they have like there are people with money who don't put in the effort that it takes or that it should take to be able to experience something like that. Yeah, so they can get taken in by helicopter, 
and then have all their stuff taken in. Like I saw a big family down there with like so much supplies. And I'm just like, this shouldn't be allowed. You know what yeah, I mean? Like you have a- to, you should have to put in the effort to experience something this cool. That was the nice part about the Kalalau Trail that we could Kalalau Trail in Kauai that you can only, I mean, you can, you can fly over with a helicopter and technically I guess you could land a helicopter, but they only do it for emergencies, but you could have a boat take you back there. But the shore break is so severe that you have to go at the right time to even like get dropped off by a boat and try and swim in. How long was that? What is this trail you're talking it's about? It's 12 miles. You haven't, you've never heard of the Kalalau Trail? I may have. It's t- it's a twelve mile trail on the north shore of Kauai. Okay. So it was established by native Hawaiians way way back when. I thought it was a more recent thing, but no, like native Hawaiians used to actually live back there. But it's a trail and it's a crazy hike. Like you're hiking right along the the uh, um the shoreline of the the ocean, and it's like. If you get a chance, go check it out on uh, really? go check it out on YouTube. But some crazy hikes and it's like a sheer cliff. Like there's parts of it where yeah, people have died. Really? Yeah, it, it got it got pretty sketchy on us because it was raining too. And uh, but yeah, it's a and I mean you're hiking through lush. Yeah, I mean, gorgeous. Though. Yeah, amazing. And there's a, at the end of it, it's a huge beach where you camp out and sleep. So we slept there one night. Oh, but it's yeah, it's nice. amazing. Okay, I'll have to text you about it. Yeah. Russ, I think uh, <laughs> we did almost two and a half hours, I think. Yeah. So Impressive. thank you for this. We'll have to do another because yeah. I, I think we can just talk for hours. But yeah. Thank you. Enjoyed Appreciate it. it. Yep. Appreciate your time, man.